get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And then it's broken up. Torapchenko. Can he get ahead? Trocek trying to check him. Torapchenko. He scores! What a play! What a play and a goal by Torapchenko. Blues get it in front. Pitlick to the front of the goal. They score! Shen in with Kapanen wide open. Kapanen. He scores! That's what it sounded like right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN last night as the Blues get another victory. These Blues are not tanking. That is for damn sure. Three to two overtime win at home last night in Vladimir's Ter- Vladimir Tarasenko's return to St. Louis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, about a month ago, we went through the best and the worst case scenarios when it came to the Blues draft pick, right? And you said, hey, best case scenario, they can probably get up to about sixth or so. Worst case scenario, you're looking at like 12. Have you looked at the updated uh, NHL draft standings right now, Alex? Yeah, best case scenario is eighth. Worst case scenario is 13th. It has gone not according to plan. It has not. And in a strange way, I'm okay with it. Like, if it was going to go where you kind of middled, that would have been frustrating because you end up like 10th in the draft lottery. You lose against the quality opponents on your schedule, and you don't feel like you're any better for next year. You don't feel like you're, like, building something for the future. And you also cost yourself some points when it comes to the draft standings. That's frustrating. What they're doing right now, and I'm not trying to overreact, but it's a Friday Got the good feelings going into the weekend. I got a good feeling. I think this team is closer than we all thought that they were. Well, let's not use we all. I think this team is closer than I thought that they were. I think this team can make the playoffs next year. Like, if you have a decent offseason where you add one, maybe two pieces to the mix, and you have Jordan Bennington perform well, and this Western Conference doesn't take a giant leap forward at the top, I think this conference is bad enough, it's weak enough, especially in the middle, that the Blues are not that far away. In fact, if you look at it right now, they're not that far away today. (laughs) If they simply didn't have a seven-game losing streak to start out the season, we're probably talking about, hey, the Blues are finding a way to get back in this thing, guys. Because if they had won two more of those games, you're a couple of points behind Winnipeg for one of the final spots in the postseason. 
what have you made of their recent performances? I want to add the context. Both of the quality teams that you faced recently, Boston and New York, on the back end of a back-to-back. Right. Yesterday, you're going up against New York. Some will say their backup goalie. Now, the difference between the two hasn't been all that much this year, but it's important context nonetheless. You're going up against their backup goalie yesterday. So that's part of this story. But what have you made, Alex, of the Blues' recent performances and their ability to get back in this thing? 10-4-2 in their last 16 games now. That they're a confident group. And look, a month ago on this show, I said worst-case scenario for this Blues team is you don't pick in the top 10 because you traded all of these assets away at the trade deadline for no reason. You're missing the playoffs for no reason, and then you draft 12th or 13th overall. Now I'm at the point where I look at that and say, I don't care as much because you're still going to be getting a decent pick. And the fact that you have two other draft picks could package together and trade into the top 10 if Doug Armstrong deems that necessary. But you've been one of the best teams in the National Hockey League in the last 15 or so games. I mean, going all the way back to that Minnesota Wild loss that was just kind of the end point for a lot of Blues fans when Bennington got tossed and, of course, the antics got brought up. These are the teams that you've beaten. Washington, Winnipeg, Detroit, Anaheim, Vancouver, Chicago, Philly, the Rangers. Now, some of those teams, a majority of those teams, you're supposed to beat. But you also, in the games that you lost, stayed in the game all the way up to the end with the L.A. Kings on the road on the end of a back-to-back where you played the Anaheim Ducks. You were blown up by Nashville. That was just an embarrassing performance that the players even told Joe Vitale. And then you stayed in it all the way up to the end and came back to earn a point against the Boston Bruins. So right now, what I'm seeing is a group that is confident going into next season. Something has clicked for them, whether it be a new system that they're trying to run out there, whether it just be that they recognize that they're an offensively inclined team. You are up there in their last 13 games with Colorado, Edmonton, and Boston. And to say that you're in the same conversation as those teams with a god-awful penalty kill, a god-awful power play, still giving up significant amount of goals is something that people should be optimistic about. That's why I felt like this retool that Doug Armstrong's talking about, you have one good offseason, and frankly, he's already halfway there by getting Verona and Kapanen and having them for next year. You have one good offseason in terms of making an NHL trade or selecting a player that's significant enough. You've got the pieces in your system to create some depth to be competitive next year. So let me go through some of the numbers. This is just analytics, all right? Listen, I'm just spreading out the information for Uh, all of you guys. Here we go Always like, Alex, what did you think of that one? Are you excited about it? I am. Now let me go through the numbers. No, I'm... This is in agreement with you. You gave the emotional heartbeat of what's going on right now for the Blues. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you the numbers behind it. Since March 9th, they're 10-4-2. That points percentage is good for sixth best in the NHL, fourth in the Western Conference. If you're looking at goals per game, they're third in the NHL with four goals per game in this stretch. Now, yeah, you're 22nd in goals allowed per game, but you're scoring so many that it doesn't matter. Better we don't than have to worry second. about that. Your penalty kill's got to get better. You're second worst in the NHL. You're 13th, though, in shots allowed per game. The high danger chances against are down compared to what they were previously. And Jordan Bennington standing on his head. I'll give credit where it's due. He's been really good lately. And Joel Hofer gave you a couple of excellent starts in this stretch as well. A couple of things that need to get fixed. Penalty kill, face-off win rate right now is second worst in the NHL as well. you got to get that figured out. And they will. Like, that's... Robert Thomas is out right now. You've got Pavel Buchnevich masquerading as a center. Whether he gets more time to figure out the face-offs or they have somebody else there next year, you'll be all right there compared to what it is right now. 
I think some of this is translatable to next year. I think the Blues are better than the teams that are tanking. Like, you look at all the teams that have been on their schedule recently, Alex, that you're going up against Detroit, um, even Washington, certainly Columbus, Chicago, Vancouver, Philly. I watched those games and I was like, the Blues aren't as bad as any of these teams. And the Blues aren't in as a dire of a situation as any of these teams either. They have a legit top line. They've got Pavel Buchnevich that's available to them. Their defensive core, while frustrating, is not like inherently bad. You have players that you have seen perform at a high level in that group previously. And you've got guys that are young that you're building around and a couple of reclamation projects and Kapanen and Verona who are bringing something new, some real energy to this mix. If you go about this the right way this offseason, I really do think that the Blues can get back to the postseason quicker than expected. And this gets back to that defensive core that we were talking about, Alex. Over the last month, you're fifth in the NHL in save percentage at 5-on-5 at 93%. That's really, to me, the story. Because when you look at the goals against, they're, they're a little better. They're still not great by any stretch of the imagination, but they're doing better. Have you seen anything defensively that has changed for you in this stretch? I mean, let's just go back to the most recent game last night against the Rangers. That first period, you provided the Rangers nothing in terms of offense. They had six shots on goal. Zero of those were high-danger scoring chances. And natural stat tricks heat map that they show where the shots were taken from, a majority of them were taken from right above the faceoff dot and at the blue line, which means the Blues were kind of suffocating New York. And Baruby said yesterday before the game, the game plan with the Rangers is limiting their speed and transition. And in the past, you hear that and you think, okay, well, this Blues team defensively can't do that. But now they can because of the speed that they have on their side. And, and I know it sounds like a broken record, but the forwards are just being more responsible in their own zone. Every time New York tried to get a scoring chance last night, there were at least two forwards on one puck carrier. And then you've got the defenseman in the zone clogging it up, which results in them having to take a shot from the outside and in. Craig Berube said yesterday before the game, he was asked if if they've tr changed anything systematically with their team. And he said, we've tweaked some things that feels like we're a little bit more simple with our style. But for me, what I'm noticing in that Rangers game and the Boston Bruins game, and then, of course, when they're playing these, these teams that are bottom dwellers in the NHL, those teams don't have opportunities to get second and third scoring opportunities because the forwards are being more responsible in their own zone, specifically guys like Torepchenko and Pitlick and Kairou's been doing it. Like all four lines have played into a type of team role that's not leaving their defense and goaltender out to dry. I would also add this. I think they're just having the puck more often. Yeah, the course like, rating's been through the roof, too. When, when you have the puck more often in the offensive zone, it results in fewer opportunities going the other direction. So I, they're just playing a better game overall, man. And so when I when I watch them recently, I say to myself, I, I think this team can do it. Not like go for a Stanley Cup championship next year. I don't think that's in the cards. We'll see. But I, I would be surprised by that. But can they make this thing more competitive more quickly than we were all anticipating? I think the really shrewd moves to pick up Kappen and, and Verona, and honestly, Sammy Blay, you could throw into this mix as Absolutely. well. I think that's what made it possible. Because you got three guys that are going to be in your forward group next year for basically nothing at the trade deadline. And 
Now you've got them built into whatever this is going to look like a year from now. You're starting to build a bit of an identity. You're getting these guys to have some chemistry together before you get into next year. You were able to start your offseason two months before the offseason actually began. So credit to Doug Armstrong. Uh, not that anybody's surprised by this. Turns out he's pretty good at this. I'll, uh, I'll give you one other reason why they've been stingier defensively. Uh, in the first 64 games of the season, so all the way up until March 7th, uh, the Blues were bottom 10 in the National Hockey League in blocked shots. In their last month since March 7th, they're top 10 in the NHL in blocked shots. So you've got more commitment from players in the defensive zone, which is something Ruby talked a lot about earlier in the season of guys just aren't committed. They're too 50-50 in between on loose pucks. You've got to be more aggressive, and you're seeing them play more aggressive. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Matthew Liberator quietly had a big night last night down in AAA. We'll discuss what that means for the Cardinals coming up here at about 1130 or so. He's Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Coming up next... The Blues might have finally developed a legitimate fourth line that even I like watching when they're on the ice. We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Drags it and then it's broken up. Torupchenko, can he get ahead? Trocek trying to check him. Torupchenko, he scores! What a play! What a play and a goal by Torupchenko! Blues get it in front. Pitlick to the front of the goal. They score! With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, you know I'm not a big fourth line guy. Just not my thing. I prefer the guys that score a whole bunch of goals and get on the ice, and you feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to do exactly that. Well, suddenly for the Blues, the fourth line is doing exactly that. Alexei Torpchenko in his last nine games has five goals, two assists. That's good for seven points. He's a plus eight overall. In fact, this entire fourth line is starting to produce some serious offense for the St. Louis Blues. Over the last month, and this is when the Blues have been performing well, um, they have outscored opponents 9-1 to one at 5-on-5. Five five. They have outchanced them in that stretch 43-34. to 34. They have more high-danger chances, and this is all despite the fact that they are only uh, starting in the offensive zone 20% of the time. So they are earning those offensive chances by performing well in their own zone and then transitioning into the ozone, just like we saw last night with Alexei Torpchenko on what was one of the coolest plays of the Blues season so far this year. Alex, do you think that this fourth line with Pitlick, Walker, and Torpchenko, would you expect that to be the fourth line on opening night of next year? Barring some type of trade in the offseason that brings in another NHL forward, I absolutely would because Doug's made it very clear he's not going to be dipping his toe into the free agent waters for the top guys this season, uh, and rightfully so because I don't believe any of them are worth uh, multi-year contracts that he would go about it. But, I mean, this fourth line has just been – it's been a catalyst for Craig Berube. It's been a heartbeat for him, and frankly, they haven't had that – 
since 2019? Because every single season, we've always heard Craig Berube talk about how, well, we need to get guys who can perform on the fourth line, and it was guys that they could trust. And Dakota Joshua wasn't it. Clem Costin wasn't it. I mean, you were cycling through guys like crazy trying to find it, and then Toropchenko comes along last season. And then you give Pitlick the PTO, and he outworks a couple of players, and Nathan Walker earns his opportunity. In their last nine games that they've played together, I went back and looked at this. They've scored 14 points, seven goals and seven assists combined between those three in their last nine games. And on top of that, what I love about it is Alexei Toropchenko has been leading the way. And we all remember that Vancouver overtime loss where he essentially called out his team saying that this isn't beer league. Since then, five goals and three assists. So Toropchenko has been the guy that's saying, I'll say the words and then I'll back them up on the ice. This would be my fourth line next season with the exception of Nikita Alexandrov. I think Alexandrov's going to get a real look to playing there. I don't know how that comes down. Now, Pitlick is an unrestricted free agent next season. Do they decide to bring him back, or is that the opportunity that Alexandrov gets into the lineup? I think if they're able to find somebody else to play in their top nine, whether it's one of their minor league guys or they sign somebody, trade for somebody, Sammy Blay would look awesome in a fourth-line role with Toropchenko and Pitlick. Walker, Alexandra. That's what I was about to bring up. So Walker is already, for those that haven't looked at the Blues cap sheet, and honestly, you don't have a lot of reason to lately as um, as this team just wasn't really in position to, to, make, to force you into that. Nathan Walker is under a one-way contract next year, which means he's going to be in the NHL. Nathan Walker almost certainly is going to be a part of the St. Louis Blues unless they trade him or ship him out elsewhere. They signed him into that extension for a reason. They like what he brings to the table. So Nathan Walker, my assumption would be, at a minimum, is part of your 13 forwards going into next year. Alexei Torbchenko is a restricted free agent. Now let's spend a second on this for a sec- for a moment, Alex. Would you be in favor of giving him a 10-year deal? <laughs> Absolutely, I would. You know what? I would go to Alexi and say, Alexi, how would you feel about being a blue for the rest of your NHL career? Uh, lifetime. Lifetime contract, yeah. sir. Like the Bobby Bonilla will just give you $3 million a year for the rest of your life. In all seriousness, he's got an RFA. He's, he's an RFA after the season, so you could do one of those bridge deals or you can make it a little bit longer term. He's 23 years old. I think there's some legitimate upside with Torbchenko. I mean, he's already at 10 goals this year. I I would not mind them going a little bit longer term with Alexei Torbchenko, getting like a three- or a four-year deal done instead of one of those bridge deals that's typically like a two-year. Yeah, I mean, he's making the league minimum right now, so I I believe that if you're Doug Armstrong, you go to him and say, we like what we're seeing right now. What's your interest level? And- Could he get like the Sammy Blay deal, million bucks? One five something like you're that. You're probably going to do one year on that side of it. I, I think if you're going to give them multiple years, you're probably looking at going to two million dollars a year. I'm thinking like if you want to go four years with Toropchenko and say we want you here for four more years, we'll give you two year two million a year AAV. I, if you, I'm him, I, I think I would do that. If I'm him, I would do it too because you're locking me up until I'm 25, 26. That gives me an opportunity to prove myself. For Doug Armstrong's perspective, you're a part of our core. For Torepchenko's perspective, we'll be competitive in a few years. That will be when I hit unrestricted free agency. And I just made more money next year than I've made in my entire NHL career. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would absolutely approach him for a extension rather than just do a one-year, like, sign him, give him a qualifying offer and move forward because he's a part of your core. And as, what is he, 23, you said? You're 23 years old, and what did Doug say? We're looking at guys between 26 and 27, 28, 29 years old. 
you get Torbchenko for four years. That's not even in the prime of it yet. So I, I would definitely approach him. And to be honest with you, I'd approach Tyler Pitlick and say, you want to be here again? Because we got a one-year deal worth a million dollars on the table for That's you. That's the one that, like, I, I've seen a lot of that. And I, I understand it, and I don't even necessarily oppose it. However, if you think Nikita Alexandrov is going to be a part of the 13 forwards next year, that's adding one to the mix. If you think that they're going to go out and add a top nine forward this offseason, which we all do. We, I mean, Doug Armstrong has basically stated they're going to. For a center or a winger. I think Sammy Blay bumps down to your fourth line, and now you've got one too many if you're bringing back a, a guy like Pitlick. I think Pitlick is one of those players that you like having around, but it's not necessary to bring him back. But with Alexandrov, you're still in the two-way contract conversation, and maybe they'll view it as you're not there yet. Although we were going to give you an opportunity, you got one more year where you're a two-way guy. You'll be the journeyman from Springfield to the NHL, and Tyler Pitlick is just going to be that 13th forward. But Nathan Walker could be that 13th forward for you. Here's the other factor in all of this, and I just looked at the line combination. So, like, this is way too ahead of our skis because, you know, it's an entire offseason. But Sajin and Cairo have looked really good together. Buchnevich, if he's your centerman, that's going to be a decision that they've got to make. Kapan and Verona look great. Logan Brown, not going to be in the conversation yeah. at this point. You've got Robert Thomas, who's the centerman for you. And then you've got these younger kids where I think Zachary Dean is going to actually push for an opportunity. Is he going to be a fourth-line opportunity where he I jumps I think that's in? one of those where, like, those young guys that are prospects, I think they fit in later in the season, and then you figure that out when it Maybe, happens. Maybe, uh, unless they have a really impressive camp. But if you're signing somebody, they're in your top nine. What we're getting to is yeah. you've got I, a I'd ton be, of dudes. Just to stop on that for a second, with what we heard from – um, Doug Armstrong, yeah. I'd be really, really surprised if any of those prospects break camp with this team. I think right. they would have to shock the team. I, I don't think this is a Jordan Walker situation where they're like, hey, if they show us enough, wink, wink, nod, nod, we're going to go ahead and put them on the squad. I, I think this is the opposite where it's they, they really, really have to outperform any of the current NHLers mm-hmm. to be able to get up with this and team. And Dean and Bolduke, if I'm not mistaken, are, will be eligible for the American Hockey League. So those guys are probably going to be playing down there. Snuggerud's going back to college more than likely. So, yeah, I, I mean, uh, if you've got a fourth line next season of Alexandrov, Blay, and Toropchenko, that's depth to your team. And you've, you've answered two of your three questions going into the offseason of, okay, what's my goaltending look like? What's my offense look like? If you sign somebody who can be a face-off man, your top 12, your 13 forwards, they're solidified. And then it just jumps right back into your defensive side of things. But not getting away from the Torovchenko, Torovchenko would be one of those players that I'd go into the offseason and say, like, where, where are we going with this, Alexi? Because we want you here. And there's an opportunity to pursue that because he could be the anchor of your fourth line for the next few seasons. I think your your forward group next year, this is my guess, and this is not in any specific order. This is just the group of 13. Saad, Thomas, Kairou, Verona, Kapanen, Shin, Buchnevich, Neighbors, and then somebody that you signed from the outside, there's your top nine. Then your fourth line is some combination to start things off with Toropchenko, Alexandrov, Walker, Blay. Mm-hmm. Depending on the night, I think those four will be able to get the three spots. And, and that's why I think for Pitlick, if he's willing to accept a tryout again next year, sure, bring him back. Because maybe a two-way deal if you decide to go that route. I don't think he's going to. I think he's performed well enough this year that other teams around the NHL will say, yeah, we'll give him the one-year deal worth 750 k the vet men. And he's worth that. Mm-hmm. He's like he would be worth that for here if you didn't have Nikita Alexandrov, Walker already signed. Like, if Walker wasn't already signed probably bring back Pitlick. Yeah. 
But since he is, and you basically made your decision earlier this year to bring back Nathan Walker, I, I think it makes more sense to just go ahead and move on. And you you appreciate everything that he's brought to you, and you're building around Torpchenko, Blay, Alexandrov, Walker. I mean, look, that's Torpchenko's already shown that he's double digit ability to score goals. Maybe you talking about peak season, he can get to 15. Uh, Sammy Blay has shown the ability to be a 15 plus goal scorer in a season. I mean, you're talking about potentially 30 to 40 goals on a fourth line next season, which is something that, again, this Blues team has not had since 2019. And as we know with Craig Berube, if he has that as a weapon to him, he can be a dangerous man to throw four lines out there that he trusts. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Ask us anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. If you guys have any uh, questions, sports or otherwise, we'll get into those coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, what does Matthew Liberatore have to do in order to force his way back into the big leagues? I didn't think we'd be having this conversation this early in the season, but what he did last night, it certainly opened my eyes. Did it open the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's PK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get into Ask Us Anything coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, I did want to talk a little bit, though, about a guy that we did not see here in St. Louis yesterday. Have not seen him so far this season, but I think we'll see him at some point. And that's Matthew Liberatore. He's down in AAA right now, and last night, he threw five innings, allowed three hits, two walks, seven strikeouts, zero earned runs, and that's the exact same stat line that he had in his first start for the Memphis Redbirds. So in his two starts so far in Memphis, 10 innings, six hits allowed, four walks, seven or excuse me, 14 strikeouts, and has yet to allow an earned run in AAA this year. I think the most impressive thing so far is that he's doing this with fastball velocity that is averaging about 96 miles per hour so far this year. That's different than what we saw from him in the past. His curveball, at least from what I have seen, I've seen a few different uh, clips on it from yesterday. It's landing a little better. It's more crisp than it was last year. It looks a little bit more like Zach Thompson's than what we saw last year from Matthew Liberatore. 
What does he need to do in your mind to force his way back up to the big leagues? Is there anything he can do to force his way up to the big leagues? Honestly, just keep doing what you're doing because sooner or later, guys are going to push themselves out of the rotation for how bad they've been, right? No? Oh, that's right. Sorry, I forgot BK thinks that they're they're better than what their numbers show. Relax. I apologize about that. No, I, I he had 11 swings and misses yesterday in his start. I don't know what his first start was in terms of swings and misses. Um that would probably be my initial thought to Matthew Libertor in terms of cracking this rotation sooner rather than later for the the Cardinals. Start putting some swing and miss stuff in your pitching. And he's got it so far at AAA, which is good because that's the, the next step down to getting up to the majors. Unfortunately, though, the leash is going to be longer than what we are acting as if this rotation. Like, it's not like one more guy goes out and pitches poorly, he's going to be yanked out of the rotation and Matt Libertor is going to get called up. It's going to be a little bit more leeway than that. I truly believe the only opportunity Libertor is going to see is when there's an injury to somebody. That's when he'll get his opportunity. But the thing is, when he does get that, if the swing and miss stuff is there and he continues to do what he's doing in Memphis, that's when the Wally Pipp situation comes into play. Not to, to pick on somebody, but Jake Woodford's filling the role of Adam Wainwright. If Jake Woodford struggles in the next couple of starts and Waino comes back, but Matthew Levitor's pitching well, do you look at that and say, okay, well, let's see if we can find a spot for Levitor in the bullpen so that Jake Woodford can go down to Memphis? I, I don't know if they would put him in the bullpen. I, I think they like him as a starter, so I don't think they would want to call him up and put him in kind of even a long relief role because I think they want him pitching. I mean, he has been in AAA for two years now, 2021, 2022, but his numbers haven't been all that impressive. I mean, he's had a high yep. ERA when he's been there. So I, I think the only way you really see him up there this year is he has to continue pitching well, which it's been a very good sign. I, I thought he had a great spring. I, I think if it weren't for Jake Woodford's spring, Matthew Libertor would have been the fifth starter in this rotation. That's how good he was uh, with Wayne going on the IL. But I, I think he has to continue to build off what he's done in his first two outings at Memphis, and then it's going to take probably another injury to the rotation before they call him up. I, I don't think they want him in the bullpen because I think they would have put him in the bullpen to start the year over Packy if they wanted him to be a reliever, because he was that good in spring training. You saw the uptick in Velo with his fastball in spring, and the curveball looked pretty good, too. So I, I think if he's going to be up on this team, it's going to be in the rotation. I, I think the only way he you see him this year is there's injuries. I think he's pitching and trying to prove more so for next year to be in the rotation than he is really this year, because I think they've got their five guys in the rotation unless there's an injury. Yeah, I, I think this is something that impacts 2024 more than it impacts 2023. And what I mean by that is uh, we're, we're still waiting on Wayno to return to the rotation. And I think best case scenario for Libertor, like if he ends up being great in his next start and Woodford has another bad one, maybe he gets a spot starter too as that fifth starter here in St. Louis before Wayno's able to return. Maybe we see that. But then when Wayno gets back, we all know what's going to happen. He's going to be inserted right into the rotation again once he's done with his rehab assignment. And it doesn't seem like it's that far away. He's playing catch. He talks the other day about how he's feeling a lot better, and he thinks that he's not crazy far away from returning. Maybe by the end of the month, maybe by early May, you're able to see Wayno back into that rotation. So that means you've only got a few starts left from that fifth starter before Wayno returns. So I, I don't think that you're going to see a lot of Libertor. I don't think there's a whole lot that he can do to really force their hand of him getting into the rotation. Who are you pulling out once Wayno's back, if they're all healthy? You're not pulling out Michaelis, Mats, Montgomery, or Flaherty for him. I mean, it's I know they haven't pitched well, but those are guys that you're leaning on this year, and you're going to give them a pretty decent amount of runway before you start thinking about anything drastic to do. But what if his stuff 
is just continuing to be electric in the minors. I mean, you can only sit there for so long if he's going out there and posting scoreless outings. And I know it's not always going to be that way, but if he's got the swing and miss stuff, if he's hitting the velocity that they want and he's giving them competitive innings at AAA, you can only sit there and say, well, we don't have a spot for you so long. Like, don't your best guys have to be up with the big club? No. I mean, I mean just to, to answer you directly, no. Because he's a lefty and you don't really have a spot for him in your bullpen right now. And honestly, I don't want him being in the bullpen this year until it's down the stretch. The reason why is because if you really view him as a starter for 2024, I want him building up those innings right now. I want him to be a guy that can come into spring training next year expecting to be like a fourth starter for you in your rotation. Or you've got going into next year guaranteed Michaelis, Matt's, and Liberator as a part of your rotation. And then it becomes a question of how do you piece things around those three? And so I I would not put him into my bullpen right now. I would if you're gonna do that, I think that's something you do down the stretch. Say like, hey, you've built up your innings, you've thrown 120 innings so far this year. Now we're gonna put you into the bullpen because we think you're one of our 13 best arms in the organization and we're ready for our playoff push. Come on up and help us out here. If they were in like a uh, dire need of a lefty if Zach Thompson was horrible and Packy not looked bad then I would totally be interested in bringing him up but right now you don't have a need for it and I think he serves you better for the long-term interest of your club to continue be getting those starting innings down in AAA I, I agree with that I, I don't think you have a need for him and to your question Alex of you know if he's one of your best pitchers do you call him up I mean, the argument was Mason Williams was one of your best position players. You didn't have to call him up because you didn't have room for him, really, for playing time. And I, I think it's the same but for you had a guy who was performing in Tommy Edmond, though. Like, you I, got guys who aren't I mean, Tommy Edmond right did not have but a you good do. spring like and you, it did not have a good World Baseball Classic. And, and they do have guys performing. I know, BK, you're getting ready to bring this up. They do have guys performing. Performing The two lefties in the pen have been awesome so far. Zach Thompson and Packy Naughton. Really, all the right-handers have been pretty good outside of Jordan Hicks so far in the bullpen. And yes, the rotation isn't performing right now. But again, that's going to kind of fall back more towards the norm at some point. It's just a rough first six starts. I think the best thing for Matthew Libertor is just to continue to develop and to BK's point, make a couple spot starts. They have kind of hinted at, at least from what I've seen, they've kind of hinted at potentially going to a six-man rotation as they're getting ready to hit the stretch where they have a handful of games before they have another off day. They've hinted at maybe going to a six-man rotation. Maybe that's where you get them a spot start. You get double headers that'll come in because of rainouts. Then you can get them some starts. But for the most part, I just want him remaining, building confidence in AAA so he can carry that into the 2024 season and potentially into the bullpen in September. T-Bone, you ready to see the end of uh, Taylor Motter's time here in St. Louis? What? He's been great. Get him out of here. Speaking of a guy that could end up losing his job to somebody down in the minors, Paul DeYoung officially began his rehab (sighs) stint last night. He went one for three. With Palm Beach, had two RBI, struck out once. This is the beginning of what at most will be a two-week rehab stint down in the minor leagues. So that means by the end of the month, they have to make a decision. Are we bringing Paul DeYoung back? Are we activating him? Or are we going to try to wash our hands of this and we just say, you know what? Enough is enough. We're good on this. T-Bone, I'll ask you because you are the biggest Taylor Motter fan here in the here on this show and maybe in the country. Other than this. His parents. Yeah, probably the only one. And his wife. Is he married? He's got kids, doesn't he? I thought he was married. Sure. I mean, he's a 33-year-old man, so possible. Uh, Um, Call him old. I was going to say, geez, Tanner's like what, 27? Three, 23. T-Bone? Jesus, you're 23. T-Bone, do you think that Paul DeYoung is guaranteed a roster spot when he's done with his rehab stint? I 
Sadly think so, yes. I, I, I think they want to see him up in the big league club. I don't think they really care about what he does in the minor league rehab assignment. I, I think they want to see him up in the big league club. And also, too, just to that point of with Taylor Motter, though he's been impressive in his one game, Taylor Motter's not going to get the playing time to really prove anything to really Wally Pitt, Paul DeYoung. So I I do think that they're going to bring Paul DeYoung up no matter what. And, and that stings to say because I love the flow of Taylor Motter and that he had one of the hardest hit balls in all of Major League Baseball this year, and it would have been in the .1% of last year. But I, I do think Paul DeYoung's going to be brought up when he's healthy. Although we've come. Did Tanner just say also too? He totally said also too. That's not English. <sighs> this means the same thing. Is it T-O or T-O-O, Tanner? I think he was trying to say also the number two, but I don't know. I don't think so. Have I ever said I hate you guys? Alongside no. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions for us, sports or otherwise, we'll get to ask us anything coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's get to ask us anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, go ahead and get them in on the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's start with this, Alex. This comes from the 314. Guys, if you could have one career, would you rather have Connor McDavid's or Pat Maroon's? Ooh, that's a good one. I don't think this is hard. I don't either. Mine would be McDavid's. Yeah. Same. Like, as much as everybody talks about how great it is to win Stanley Cups, Connor McDavid is going to go down as one of the best hockey players in the history of the sport. He's doing something this season that hasn't been done since the 90s, and Mario Lemieux has done it. Like, I I will say this. I would much rather live in the places that Pat Maroon has lived than live in Edmonton for the entirety of my career. Like to live the life of Pat Maroon. Edmonton can't be that bad. Uh, Maroon played there and then got out of there real quick, so... Well, Edmonton's actually uh, one of the nicer. Like, at least it's not in Winnipeg. Yeah, it's That's cold right. there. And dark there all the time. I mean, Pat Maroon has lived slash worked in Anaheim, Edmonton for like two years, and then New Jersey, St. Louis, and Tampa Bay. Those sound immensely more enjoyable and be than in working Tampa in Edmonton the Until he retires. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I I think I would go with the uh, Connor McDavid. Having your name on making ten million bucks a year. That's what I was going to say. Having your name on a ton more money. Having your name on the cup though would be pretty awesome. But I'd rather be known for the dude that was chasing Wayne Gretzky's overall points record. Uh, Next one up, T Bone. Is there any flavor of seltzer that you would try? No. Next question. Really? No, I don't like seltzers at all. I would not try any flavor of seltzer. I tried them. You think you're a big man? You think you're a big man? When I when I turned 21, I did not like any of them, and I don't really like the the seltzer, so I, I'm out completely. Uh, from the 314, BK, do you have any friends? Because you, sir, are a know-it-all bleep hole. Uh-huh. I mean, 
I fair, like to, fair question. I like to think these guys are my friends. Now we're coworkers. Let's make sure we know our role We don't here. hang out outside of work. That's true. We, we really don't. Uh, all right. This one comes from the 314. Is BK the type where if somebody else is throwing a social gathering at their house and everybody brings food or a drink, he's the one that volunteers to bring the bag of ice? Oh, absolutely. That's 100% yeah. true. Yeah. I feel like I'm rather kind with what I bring to parties. Or he oh, shows yeah. up with like uh, salsa in a jar. Whenever we get together, that's true, and you know it. Might not be a good thing. I try to bring beer anytime that we get together. I feel like I am. Uh, maybe I'm not a good time, but the stuff that I bring is a good time to the party. It makes I, you more I enjoyable. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like you bring things to like keep people away from the type of person you are. Like you forget that you're with BK for the stuff you bring. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 573. Guys, what do you think about Caleb Love deciding to not go to Mizzou? He is going to end up with Michigan. Does this hurt Missouri's chances this upcoming season? T-Bone, go ahead and mute your mic. I don't even yeah. want to hear from you in this We point. don't need to hear from you. I, I will say it's, it's disappointing, not like... I'm disappointed in Caleb Love for not going to Mizzou. No, he can go wherever he wants to. If he wants to go to Michigan, good good for him. I mean, he's ending up at a, a good program where I hope that he has a bunch of success. It sucks as a Mizzou fan because I was excited to see what Dennis Gates could do with him. I think Caleb Love is a crazy talented basketball player, and he was in a terrible basketball situation last year. I will say this. I don't know that he's going to a better basketball situation because Michigan wasn't particularly good this year for the most part, and they're losing their best player to the transfer portal. So, um, from that perspective, I, I'll be curious to see what it looks like. And I thought Mizzou was a good basketball situation for him. Um, but, yeah, they, they've got their work cut out for him. Now they've got to go out and find probably another combo guard, and they need a big. And one of the bigs that they were potentially going after, really two of them now have committed elsewhere, with one of them committing to Cal today and the other, the TCU big, uh, committing somewhere the other day. So, so they're missing out on everybody right now. There's a, I mean, there's like 700 kids in the portal. Oh, They'll I get find it. good players. Last year, I don't think a lot of Mizzou fans knew what Noah Carter or um, Nick Honor were going to bring to the table, and they ended up being key contributors for him. Yeah, it's frustrating, and I'm sure Dennis Gates is frustrated. And that's like, you can't get mad at Caleb Love for it because he gets to do what he wants to do and I would imagine Michigan offered more than Mizzou could have offered so uh, it's just frustrating because it felt like that was like this past season was the breakthrough moment for Mizzou and now it was the opportunity to just continue to climb and maybe they still can do that with whomever they get on the transfer portal but man all of these names that kept popping up the kid from TCU and then these two bigs that we've talked about and then now with Caleb Love like the, the ones that you wanted you missed out on uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. BK, I'm leaving St. Louis for the first time in 26 to live in Oregon. Well, How do I make new friends? Please help. You're asking BK that? Well, he's certainly not asking Alex Ferrario that. That's that for well, that's true. for sure. But, like, <laughs> I embrace it. Like, BK doesn't have friends. I will say I... I think making new friends in a new city is harder than people will give it credit for. Like, my sister moved to Jacksonville, and then now she moved to uh, Atlanta recently. And she's like, hey, it, other than the people that I work with, like, you just don't, you don't really get to know these people as easily as you would think. Like, going to bars, you can make some friends that way. I think the biggest thing is, like, 
the people that you work with become your friends a lot of the time when you move to a new city. At least it's been my experience. And then their friends a lot of the time, like you'll just get to know people through them. So it's almost like this web that you end up learning, like through seven degrees of separation, you meet this other person that then becomes somebody that is a big part of your life. So, look, going from a uh, an eighth grade class that had nine kids to a high school that was like twelve hundred kids it was a little stressful. In terms That's the of the easiest that. time though to meet new, oh friends. yeah, because you've always say. got a new class that you're going to the next hour. Yeah. Not like uh, work where you got just the same thing and then you have to really go find something else to exactly. do to go find people. And so you force yourself to like the and people there, that you're around all the time. And unlike dating, there's no app to get you a friend. So There are, there are, there, there are apps, apps for that. Yeah, Wait, they make apps, apps to make new friends? Yeah. No. Oh, I might join that. Somebody said the best way to meet good people in a new city is the joy of bourbon. Uh, join a club. There's a bunch of new ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, it sounds super weird, but. Hey, man, there's a Facebook group for everybody nowadays. Super sketchy. Now, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, <laughs> like, super sketchy. But, yeah, Facebook groups, apps, uh, online, it's not just for relationships. I mean, it you can meet people that way as well for, for just being friends. Um, all right, guys, final thing here from the 314. If you could live in one other city and do what you do right now, so sports radio in that city, where would you want to move? Vegas. Really? Yeah. Vegas has always been a spot that I thought would be a fun place to cover. And this was before, like, they had professional sports teams. Uh, and now with the growth of sports in Vegas, that would probably be one of those that I would enjoy. I, I love Vegas. Vegas is, like, my second favorite city. That's a good one. I, I think I would want to go probably to Florida, maybe Tampa Bay or uh, Miami. I just, don't think you would enjoy the sports radio scene in Miami. All right. Just well, I'm going like. just to prove a point. You know, you know what? You know he'd enjoy the scene in terms of just Florida in general because yeah. there's a ton of retired people. Yes. I think Tan- Tampa makes sense. Tanner would I, have a I don't, I don't think Tanner would like the Miami sports radio You know scene. what? I We're breaking a public statement. I am ready to go to Miami now. BK Tanner. just told me I can't do it, and it felt like when mom's like, you won't like that. Well, you know what, Mom? I'm going to prove a point, and I'm going to go enjoy it. Tanner, my grandpa's uh, retirement home, they just did like a, uh, a massive walk at Forest Park. They have a walking group. You want to be a part of it? I'd be in. Are you kidding me? I already go for walks. Can I listen to my own music, though? I don't no, wanna, you like, got to go. No, no music. I don't want to hear them talk about talk. the good old days. Like, I don't, I'm not in for that. Yeah, Tanner's good old days were 20 years ago. Yeah, they'd be talking about, you know, when gas was like 20 cents. I'd be like, man, when I was in high school, let me tell you, three years ago, I was a hell of an athlete. Um... I think I would want to live in Denver. I think that would be the spot that I would go to. You've got an NBA team. You've got a football team there. Um, you've got a hockey team to talk about. And they've got baseball, even though they don't really care about it. They, they have a baseball team out there, technically. Well. I don't think you'd like and it And I love Denver. Denver's awesome. No, I don't think you'd like it. T-Bone, you want to know why I don't think you would yeah, like I don't, it? I don't, I don't, radio? No, I don't, I don't think you dad. Yeah, I don't think you could live out there, BK. That's fair. I would um, love Florida. Florida's awesome. Like, I don't care about living the sports in Florida radio part. Living amazing. in Florida is the part that I care about. Miami doesn't care about sports, man. <laughs> I don't care. I'm living in Miami. That's very true. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to any Miami sports talk radio, but it's like mostly entertainment, and there's a little bit of sports that are involved. It's like it, the junk drawer for three hours yeah, and correct. then one segment of sports. You know what? It's, I see a beach. I don't really care. It's the Ridge show, and then they have Jamie on for an hour, oh. basically, it, is essentially what uh Miami Sports Talk Radio is at all times. Um there's nothing wrong with that. It sounds fun, but it, all I heard was you take a shot at different. Jamie Rivers. 
What? Which you can deal with that yourself. <laughs> I don't know how that was a shot at Jamie at all. I think Jamie would be excellent and would enjoy the hell out of living and doing sports radio in Miami. I'm just not sure that Tanner would. Um, <laughs> all right. Final thing just here. Just sticking to it, T-Bone. I know, this uh, is unbelievable. From the 314, BK, what did you learn at the baby tour last night? I met a gentleman last night as I was uh, touring the wonderful Mercy Hospital right out in uh, Creve Corps um, who listens to our show each and every day, Alex. Shout out to Mercy Hospital. Delivered both of my baby girls. And shout out to Brad. Oh, for, uh, all right, Brad. For, for meeting us out there. All right, coming up next. Didn't answer what you learned at the baby tour. Uh, I learned that we're going to probably have our baby at Mercy. Oh. So. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> there you I'm go, sorry. ladies and gentlemen. Brad, I'm sorry you got to deal with him. Yeah, BK. I don't think Mercy. I don't think you'd be good at Mercy Hospital for the baby. <laughs> I think you should go probably go somewhere else. <laughs> you should probably go somewhere else. Probably not good for it. Has Jordan Bennington changed the way that you view him as a regular season goalie? I bet you he's changed the way Alex views him. We'll find out next. You're on 101 ESPN. <laughs> this episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Senko up the right side into the middle, far wing they go, drag shot on, and a left pad save, Bennington. Rangers quickly in, it's gotten a little loose defensively, centering play, block, rebound right on, Bennington with a huge save, top of the crease, Rangers in, far wing, shoot, save, Bennington, denied Lafreniere. Drop it off to Panarin on the near side, into the circle, Tarasenko with a shot, and Bennington gets the glove on it, says I've seen that in practice before. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That is what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN. Your home for the Blues last night as Jordan Bennington picks up yet another win. This one coming against the Rangers. Saved 22 of the 24 shots that he faced. That's good for a 917 save percentage. Alex, he is now 5-1-1 one, one in his last seven starts with the Blues. You look at his overall numbers this year. They're not going to jump off the page to you. 27, 25, and 6 on the year. He's got an 893 save percentage, but he has turned it around a little bit in his most recent starts. What have we learned about Jordan Bennington and how he's utilized with the Blues this year? I think we've learned that he's not a liability in the regular season like he's been in the past. The past two years, the narrative of Jordan Bennington has been, well, he can't win you games in the regular season. You just got to get to the postseason, and then he's able to take over This season has not been the case, and I know, man, Alex, look at his numbers. They're awful. That's fine. Watch the games that he's given up four, five, six goals in because there's no chance for Jordan Bennington. It's the same narrative all season long, but for me, going into next season, I don't have the same concerns about Jordan Bennington than than I did last season. Now, is the team going to be better in front of him? That's the biggest question mark right now. But I know, like we saw against the New York Rangers, like we saw against the Boston Bruins, if you give him adequate defense in front of him, I'm asking for adequate defense, 
He's going to be able to keep you in those hockey games, and that's been the narrative of Jordan Binnington this season. In 58 games that he has played, I would say probably a handful have been games that he hasn't been able to keep you in. Everything else, he's been giving you an opportunity to stay within one goal. So you said you don't have the concerns that you had about him last year. What do you mean by that? Last year I had the concerns, and they were realistic concerns. And as much as I have been a Jordan Binnington advocate – The concerns were you're going to get a stretch of one or two months where he just loses it, and you can't rely on him, and you've got to have an adequate backup goaltender to step in. And this season, you didn't have to have that. Thomas, How many times did we look at the Blues and say, they're going to need Thomas Grice right now? Not once. And that's massive, especially when you've moved on from Ville Husso. So my comfort level next season is if Jordan Bennington has to start me 55 games – I'm going to have an opportunity to compete in the Western Conference because Bennington is good enough to do that. I, uh, here I, we go. I'm not trying to play Debbie Downer here. I, I promise you. Like uh, I, I would say that Jordan Bennington, I feel the same about today that I felt last year, which is if you have Jordan Bennington as your starting goalie going into the playoffs, you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Like I, I firmly believe that to be the case. The question, though, is about the regular season, and I, I'm not totally there with you on that because, like, I think the thing about Grice is the reason why we didn't say that this year is because Thomas Grice wasn't very good. I think if Grice was awesome, if Grice played the way that Ville Husso did last year, I think midway through the season we would have been having the same conversations. And the reason why I mention that is because, like, you look at the save percentage, and this is not, and this is why it's so hard to have a conversation about Bennington, is because there's so much context that is necessary. It's not a shot against Bennington, but. He had the lowest save percentage on the team this year. Out of the three guys that got starts between Bennington, Grice, and Hofer, Bennington was at 893. Grice was just slightly above him at 896, and then Hofer at 915. They were not helped, any of them, by the defense. I'm not suggesting that this is all on Bennington. But an 893 save percentage is not good, man. And there were times this year that if you had last year's version of Ville Husso, I think you would have gone to him and tried to ride it out for five, six, seven, eight games in the middle of the season. I don't believe that Jordan Bennington is a 60-game regular season starter. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. I think you want him to be fresh going into the playoffs because that's when he really can be a difference maker for you. And so next year, and I think this is why I'm excited about what Joel Hofer was able to show for you this year. Next year, I hope that Joel Hofer starts like 35 to 40 games for you. And it's closer to a 1A, 1B regular season scenario where you know who your guy is going into the postseason. That's going to be Bennington. He should start every playoff game. But you're able to keep him fresher, and you don't have to lean on him as much in the regular season because you have a better backup going into next year. So I, I feel like I learned more about, like, my learning was confirmation of what I already felt this year. And having the Joel Hofer aspect of this does provide me even more confidence but let's be honest like Joel Hofer's numbers looked great but Joel Hofer also got some help from the players in front of him and when he didn't the Nashville Predators game happened and Joel Hofer looked overwhelmed Joel Hofer looked like what Jordan Bennington has looked like all season long with the exception of you're thinking okay maybe he's not maybe this is a team that got the best of him there whereas with Jordan Bennington there were games that he would give up Like, I remember the narrative last season with Jordan Bennington was that sooner or later he's going to have to stop giving up those goals off of the glove or the goals that kind of kill the vibe of the Blues. 
This season, I feel like we've not said that with Jordan Bennington. It's been, God, the team needs to find ways to stop allowing these backdoor tap-ins on Jordan Bennington. Last season felt like a liability in net for the Blues, especially in that stretch from like December to March where Ville Husso had to take over. This season, I- I'm not sure. I think I would disagree with the fact of if they had a Ville Husso and not a Thomas Christ, they would have gone to him with a longer stretch because it does feel like, with the exception of those games where Jordan Bennington has lost his cool, Craig Berube has shown the confidence in him that says, like, yeah, we'll put him back out there because he's given us a chance to win. I think a lot of that, though, again, goes back to your options. Like, it, your alternative to Jordan Bennington this year was a guy who I'm not trying to put him down, but to, to, we know what Thomas Grice is. He's a, he's a backup goalie in every sense of the word in the NHL. There's nothing wrong with that. You need somebody like a Thomas Grice on your team, but he's not a guy that's going to win you a whole lot of games. He's a guy that is going to be a reflection of what is in front of him. Last year, Ville Husso was more than that for the Blues. Last year, Ville Husso had a stretch where he was, I mean, inarguably, by the numbers, one of the best goalies in the NHL. You didn't have that kind of upside in Thomas Grice. You had like four games where that felt like the case for Joel Hofer. And then to your point, Alex, you had the game where everything went wrong and we saw what can happen with this defense in front of any goalie, much less a guy as young and inexperienced as Joel Hofer. So your option, your alternatives with Bennington were not very good. And so I, I think that he showed confidence because, well, what else am I going to do if I'm uh, Craig Berube. Am I going to go out there and like shred my starting goalie when my backup is Thomas Grice? And I don't have a whole lot of confidence in him either. So I think going into next year, my perspective on this is very simple. I think you feel great about Jordan Bennington in the playoffs and that's what matters. And I think you should expect Jordan Bennington to start like 45 to 50 games for you. And if he gives you that, man, that's awesome. And if he ends up with around a 900 save percentage again, you live with it. Because that's not so bad. You could do a lot better, but you could also be worse. And I think Jordan Bennington, really, where, where he steps up, where he matters is in the playoffs, not so much in the regular season. I think that that's that's where I stand on him right now. I don't think it's all his fault. I think that sometimes, though, we give him even a little bit more leeway than we should because the defense has been so bad. I think sometimes it becomes an excuse more than an explanation this year. Yeah. Um, and that, that that's kind of where I fall on him. Coming up next... No excuses necessary for the Milwaukee Brewers with the way that they have performed so far this year. Is this team better than we expected them to be? Or is this just a hot start that we have seen from a whole lot of teams in the past and it's going to cool off quicker than expected? We'll talk about the Brewers, what they are, how they play into the Cardinals plans next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mitchell, deep right, forget about it, Garrett Mitchell, he wins it for the Brewers, two homers last night and one this afternoon. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. that audio courtesy of the Brewers TV Network. Don't look now, but Milwaukee is 5-1 and one on the season. They just swept the New York Mets. They did all of that at home against New York. They scored 10, 9, and 7 runs in those three games respectively, and their rotation completely shut out the Mets in two of those three games. 
Alex, I thought all offseason the Brewers were in for a rude awakening. And frankly, you look at that lineup and it feels like they should be in for a rude awakening. They've got a bunch of dudes in that lineup that I would say the vast majority of baseball fans, casual baseball fans, have never heard of. And some other guys that casual baseball fans have heard of, but would see as like nice eight-hole hitters in most quality lineups. For example, Brian Anderson. He was with the Marlins for like the last six years and was never really a significant piece in their lineup other than in 2019 when he put together a pretty solid season. In the first six games of the season, he has three home runs and 10 RBI. That sounds like an MVP. For the Milwaukee Brewers. He has an OPS of 1,600. Oh, yeah, that's an MVP. I was watching MLB Network the other day, and Mark DeRosa, manager of Team USA, had this to say about the Milwaukee Brewers. I was looking at the Brewers last night, and I'm watching this game. They go back to back to back off Max Scherzer, second time ever done against him in his career. And then they go back to back again about an inning later. But it's the sum of the parts. It was kind of a mishmash, a kind of a strange brew going on in Milwaukee. Bryce Terang, first round pick for these guys in 2018, shows up, grand slam. Garrett Mitchell came up at the end of last year, hit 311 in 28 games. It's Weimer playing right field, but man, he reminded me of Brett Laurie last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Watching this guy in the box. Alex, are the Brewers good? What are we supposed to do with this team? Because I came into the season thinking, ah, NL Central's a cakewalk. What they did against New York opened my eyes a bit. How do you feel about them going into this series between the Cardinals and the Brewers? Uh, they're an unknown. And as much as I want to sit here and say, you know, it's the first bleeping week of the season like we did with the Cardinals, you do have to put a little respect because, yes, Brian Anderson is the anomaly in my opinion. Like the back of the baseball card already shows up and he'll be back to like a 260 batting average like he was in his career in Miami. But Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Terang, Joey Weimer, like these are prospects for Milwaukee. And I I don't know Milwaukee's prospect pool, but I would imagine these are guys that were towards the top of that prospect pool. So, these guys are getting an opportunity to showcase it, and they're backing it up, just like we're seeing with Jordan Walker and like we saw with Brendan Donovan. Like Sometimes the prospects come up and they actually mash. I don't think those numbers can stay uh, as they are, but there are pieces right now that are at least making their offense competitive. See, the difference with Milwaukee and the Cardinals are Milwaukee doesn't need to have the type of offense that the Cardinals have because they've got strong pitching that can back up if they can pull out some victories. So... I was completely out on Milwaukee. I was like you at the beginning of the season saying no way they're going to make this competitive with the Cardinals, especially what their offseason looked like. But Jesse Winker has been good for them. Uh, Luke Voigt hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities, two hits and nine at-bats. But they have the pitching that can make it dangerous, and right now their offense is at least backing it up. So this series, albeit the first week of the season, is a lot more intriguing than what I thought it was going to be in spring training. T-Bone? I, I think they're – I said at the beginning of the year, I thought they would be a playoff team, kind of sneak into that final spot at six, and I still believe that. I, I don't think they're a team that's going to ultimately end up competing with the St. Louis Cardinals for the NL Central. I think once the Cardinals get the pitching figured out and it kind of they right the ship there, then I think they end up running away with the Central and win it by probably seven or more games. But I, I look at Milwaukee now, and, like, 
yes, they've got some guys that are playing low, but Brian Anderson's not a 1600. He's not going to be this great a player all season long. They got some exciting prospects like Terang is a little bit exciting to see what he's going to do as the season develops. And then they've got reclamation projects and Jesse Winker um, along with Brian Anderson. He's one of those as well. I, I think their offense is going to fall back to earth. I, I think their offense is better than what it was last year. Cause remember last year, their offense was just abysmal. I think it's slightly better than it was last year, but I, I, I don't think it's good enough to where it will make it to where it's like, holy cow, look at this bleeping Brewers lineup. No, I think you're going to look at the Brewers and go, all right, Willie Damas will have a solid year. Telez has got some power. Winker will have some power, and William Contreras will be okay. Like, they've got four bats that maybe you're scared of. I, Christian Yelich isn't that anymore. So I, I, I don't think they're a team that's still going to compete in the NL Central. I think it's just one of those flukes where weird bleep happens in the first week of the MLB season or really the first couple of weeks in the MLB season I think as things start to kind of normalize the Milwaukee Brewers will kind of fall into being more of a average offense that will have to be carried by their pitching staff and if they deal with injuries in their rotation like they did last year they'll be in some serious trouble I don't think this offense is sustainable at all (laughs) I think they're complete frauds I think that what we are seeing right now is Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Terang, Joey Weimer. Those guys have looked really good, really good. And when you look at the bottom of their order, that's what's really propping it up along with Brian Anderson. I think what's going to happen is, and we saw this with the Cardinals last year, some of those young guys that came up and after the first month or so of them being up, you find a hole in the swing. And then the league adjusts to them. And then it becomes a question of, are they able to make that adjustment back to the league? For a lot of guys, that's where it basically ends. And you end up being a 220 hitter, and you never really become a star. We'll see what happens with these Brewers hitters. But we haven't gotten to that adjustment yet. They're still in the first week of the baseball season where teams are trying to figure out, okay, who are they? Who are these guys as hitters? And I I think that 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 time is coming for them. I know that Mitchell and Terang specifically, those guys are former first-round picks. They are legitimate prospects for the Brewers. Maybe they end up being better than I'm giving them credit for. Totally possible. We know what Brian Anderson is. If that guy beats you, tip your cap to him because I'm I'm not super worried about him. We kind of know what Jesse Winker is. He had a good season, but otherwise, like last year, not a very good year for for him in Seattle. I I think he'll be fine. If he's your two-hole hitter, though, I think you're overmatched, and that's what he's that's what he's been so far for Milwaukee. So I I am not buying this start for them at all. They do still have a really good one-two in the rotation. Nobody can take that away from them. Their bullpen is quite good, although not as deep as it once was. I I think that it's possible that they continue this offensive surge against the Cardinals. So it might look really bad that I'm saying this today. Um, by the end of the weekend, I, I am quite confident though. By June, mid-May, we're going to be looking at this Brewers lineup completely differently, and we're going to be saying kind of what we did at the beginning of the season, which is, yeah, it's an average offense. They it, they might be able to make up for it with their pitching, and maybe, as T-Bone said, they're able to latch on to that final spot of the wild card, something like that. They could win 90 games. That wouldn't shock me. But this this notion that they're suddenly like this, star-studded lineup that's going to take the league by storm, like that... Let's settle down a little bit. Just like we're going to have to like pull ourselves up with the Cardinals rotation, I feel the, the opposite way about the uh, the Brewers lineup. Let's so you're super optimistic for a Cardinals team, but you're super pessimistic for a team that's not the Cardinals in the NL Central. Exactly. Cool. Cool. Exactly. Cool, 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 cool. How does all of this play into the way that we evaluate Jack Flaherty? 
Because tonight, he's going to see that lineup that we were just talking about that's been completely mashing, especially over their last four games. They've scored a total of 35 runs in their last four games. As I mentioned, a couple of guys in that lineup have combined for six home runs. Does that change at all the way that you evaluate Jack Flaherty going into this one? I, I mean, if his command is better and he's not walking guys and he goes and performs the same way he did against Toronto, I'm going to be a lot more optimistic about Jack Flaherty because you did go up against a really good offense. And although you had a ton of walks, you didn't give up a hit. You didn't give up a run. So you did that against a powerful offense of the Toronto Blue Jays, and then, yes, it's a powerful offense right now with Milwaukee. I'm like you, skeptical about a Brewers offense that is this good early on, but if his command is better, I'm going to be more optimistic about Jack Flaherty than I was originally, and again, that's that three-game, five-game stretch leeway that I'm willing to give Jack Flaherty early portion of the season. Yeah, I'm willing to give him that leeway, too, and three starts. I'm looking to see what his command looks like tonight, and if he gets hit because he's in the strike zone, Honestly, I would just tip my cap to the Milwaukee Brewers just because they're a hot team coming into this one, and he's historically struggled at Miller Park. Uh, so I, I look at it, and I say, you know what? If he's got better command in the fastball, Velo's there because he's trusting it more and not having to take off of it, and the slider looks good, then, I, then I, I'll be looking more in terms of what his stuff looks like and his command. Then I'm going to be looking at, oh, hey, he gave up five earned runs and five yeah. innings pitch. I, I'm more concerned about what his stuff looks like because if he can build off of the start from his first one where he walks seven guys and the command is better. I think it's just a slow progression of him building back up to the guy that you think he is. Jack Flaherty in his career in Milwaukee has not gone well. When he goes there, it is one of the worst ballparks that he performs in consistently. Says who? Uh, Says everybody. Um, In his career in Milwaukee, Jack Flaherty has a 5.85 ERA in eight starts. Those eight starts have gone a total, a total of 37 innings. Well, that's no boy. No, that's less than five innings per outing. It's not what you want. So that is context to be taken into account whenever he goes there as well. Um, he gets, he just gets hit, hit around pretty, pretty hard. Uh, he's given up eight home runs in those 37 innings. And again, a 5.85 ERA in his eight starts at uh, in Milwaukee, it's consistently been one of those spots where you expect him to struggle. I'm going to give him a lot of grace with what happens tonight. You're going up against a hot lineup, and for as much as I say, like I, I do think this is going to slow down, that doesn't mean it's going to immediately stop or to come to a screeching halt. So I, I do think momentum's real, especially in baseball, where you've got a lineup that's that's going pretty well. Everybody, when they go up to the plate, feels good. It, it, it could be bad for Jack Flaherty tonight. Don't freak out. I, I think that he still look for the stuff, look for the command. If that's there, that's a that's a step in the right direction compared to what we saw from him in his, in his first start. Coming up next, the Masters is currently taking place down at Augusta, and there is one man who I told you to bet on that I hope you listen to me for because he shows up for four tournaments a year, now one tournament a year in, in uh, the PGA. And I'll be damned if he's not doing it again. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brooks Kepka, man. 
It always seems to happen with him. You get to a major tournament, one that he's eligible eligible for now, and he's just out here dominating. I can't explain it, Alex. I don't think the guy likes golf particularly much. It's just something that helps <laughs> just him make money. a whole boatload of money. And if you watched any of the um, PGA documentary series that's on Netflix, I think that came through pretty well. Um but right now he's at the lead down at the Masters at Augusta. He's 12 under uh, through two. There's a tie for second at seven under, so he's got a five-shot lead right now at Imagine the Masters. hating something but just dominating it. I played football with a guy in high school. He ended up being a, a four-star recruit that went to Kansas and kind of it, it didn't work out for him. But he didn't really like football. He was just really good at it. Never watched it on TV. Didn't really care about the game. Uh, tried to spend as much time away from it as possible. Like, was interested in other stuff other than football. Had very little interest in it. But he was really good at it. So he's like, hey, man, I guess I'll go play for free. <laughs> go to college for free. And that's on, like, the 10 percentile version of this. Brooks Kepka's like, the best golfer in the world who doesn't really care about golfing. Like, you go out, Alex, and golf, and if you could, you'd go out every day. If you could afford it, if you had the ability to do so, you have the it time to do so. It piss me off so much. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're bad at it. Along whoa, whoa. <laughs> you're bad at it. I'm okay at it. What I mean is, basically everybody that golfs as an amateur is some version of not so great. Meanwhile, this guy's able to go out there and four times a year when he was eligible to play four of the uh, the majors. And now once a year when he goes out to the Masters, he just goes out there and dominates. Love it. Can you imagine what is what that life must be like for him? It's incredible because he's just going to go to his private yacht as soon as this tournament is over and just, you know, not leave for another six months <laughs> before he decides to go make another five or six million dollars. But honestly, it's it's entertaining because of the live connection with all of this and doesn't it feel like it's creating a little bit of I don't want to say hatred, but it's it's starting to build that that notoriety of like, oh, a live golfers winning the Masters. Let's see what some of the reaction is. Let's see what some of the outspoken PGA guys are doing right now. Uh, not so well. Surprise, surprise, compared to what Brooks Kepka is doing. But some of them have actually had a pretty good day today. Like um, Phil's having a good day. He's three under. He's now tied for tenth. At four under for the for the tournament, Patrick Reed two under. He's three under for the tournament. Dustin Johnson not so great. He's even for the tournament now. Uh, by the way, quick update on Tiger. Yeah. He's currently projected to be at the cut line. He's even uh, through two holes. Last I checked, he just placed one right on the green a little bit ago. So so it, it's getting better, um, but not great. Guys that are projected to miss the the cut line, though. To your point, Alex, on some of these live guys. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, plus uh, he's at four over. Sergio Garcia is at four over. Rory McIlroy, yikes. Yeah. Rough day <laughs> for my boy. Wasn't this T-Bones guy? I think he, yeah. He, it was, I think it was the T-Bones like, that, that name sounds knew. familiar. Yeah. He looked yeah. at the Vegas odds. It's like, hey, I know Rory. That <laughs> yeah. guy seemed likable. The, the bad performance, uh, that did not come with the uh, repertoire that I knew him for. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's at five over. He's projected to miss the cut. And Bubba Watson, Yikes. <laughs> He's at seven over. It has been a struggle so far. Uh, he's also projected to miss the cut um, at the Masters as well. Alex, I did want to ask you a little bit about Kepka because, like, what is the comparison for this <laughs> of a guy that just comes in and every time that he shows up at a major 
you kind of expect him, or at least there was a period of time from like 17 to 2019, essentially, where you're like, hey, if that guy's there, he's going to finish top 10 at, at the major. Oh, and there's a pretty damn good chance that he finishes at the top of the leaderboard. Right. Whether it's golf or otherwise. That's what I was it, trying to think. Is it like just Jordan Bennington? <laughs> like, is is that the comparison for what we're seeing right now from Brooks Kepka? I don't know. Do people hate Kepka like they hate Bennington? Yes. Oh well, probably three one four three nine 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 six four six. I I am genuinely curious here. What's the comparison in sports or otherwise where somebody just shows up to like the big thing that really matters, but all the other ancillary things like regular season, preseason, whatever. Like like yeah, not sure. I'm really interested in that. You know who this might be. And I'm looking it up right now. Um, Kawhi Leonard's another one that immediately Kawhi comes Leonard's to mind a good for one. Me. Uh, Justin Williams played uh, yes. made, uh, hockey. <laughs> yes. Th- he's like Mr. Stanley Cup playoffs. Like th- he's had good seasons. Like he's had 30 goal seasons in the past. But like his final 10 years in the NHL, the most goals he scored were 23. But he wrapped up his playoff career with 41 goals and 102 points and 162 playoff. Randy games. Rosarena. Yeah. <laughs> is that another one? Like what like what are we doing here right now? Eli Manning. Eli Manning is a great one. Yeah, he Eli shows Manning. up two times in his career and is like, uh-huh. "Hey, I'm about to go on the best run you've ever seen." Yep. Um, you know who Nick Foles. Nick, Nick Foles, Foles, yeah. Brooks his, Kepka's his a Nick was a Foles. one-off. It was like a, "Hey, for 3 games, I'm going to be the best quarterback you've ever seen." In I was going to say, but Brooks Kepka has like is like great at it no matter what. He just doesn't care about it. Nick Foles wasn't that good in terms of like performance outside of the postseason. Uh somebody says it it's a little different. It's not like the the postseason performer, but a guy that doesn't really enjoy what he does for a living but is really good at it. Zach Greinke. Oh, yeah. They say Zach Greinke didn't really uh, enjoy pitching, but he was really great. Wanted uh, to play in the field and hit. One of my favorite Zach Greinke stories ever is the day that he was called up to the big leagues with the Royals when he was ge- prepared to make his major league debut. His AAA manager calls him into the office and says, hey, Zach, I, I really need to talk to you. And he says, good, I've been looking for you, too. And he's like, Zach, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you mine first. I'll give you my information. Then you can share whatever you wanted to talk to me about. He says, uh, hey, you're, you're getting the call up. Congratulations. Like, the, the, the Royals want you to go make your debut in the big leagues. And he says, oh, do you think they would mind if I actually go back down? I, I, I want to make the transition to shortstop. He says, Zach, you're getting the call up to the big leagues. What do you mean? You want to go back down to A-ball I to make try the your opportunity at shortstop? He said, I, I think it'd be really fun to hit again. I, I miss hitting. I want to try to be a shortstop. He said, Zach, I don't think that's going to happen. Zach, I think you're going to be a pitcher. Zach, just man. shut up. You're going to the major leagues as a starting pitcher. You know the other guy that just came to mind? Floyd Mayweather in boxing. Like, never boxes until somebody, like, calls him out, and then he just comes out, wins, and then just goes back into hideout. Somebody mentioned David Freeze. That's a pretty good one as well. I I think the difference here, though, is that it happens regularly with Brooke Koepka. He's always good. It's It's just when he decides to play. This is now a six-year stretch where when he plays in the majors, now there was a little, like, it was kind of that donut hole Mm -hmm. where in the middle portion he wasn't very good, but for, like, a six-year stretch, four out of the six years, basically, when he played in a major, you thought he was going to win. But if he played in any other tournament, you're like, yeah, that guy stinks. <laughs> he's, he's just not very good. And there's no chance that he ends up uh, at the top of the leaderboard I mean, or really in the top 10. He has shot 67 or under through 18 in consecutive days at Augusta. He's amazing. It's look, he's talking right now with Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. Like it's it's wild what he is doing. And again, I think it creates so much more intrigue 
in the Masters and just golf because of the live connection and how people feel towards it. Yeah. I So if you're looking at where he will rank in terms of major wins, if he is able to finish this thing off, and he's still got a long way to go. I'm not trying to project too much, but you look at the rest of this weekend, if he's able to finish this thing off, he's going to have five major wins in, in like a six-year stretch now. There are only 19 other gentlemen in the history of golf that can say that they've won five majors. And he has like, I, I don't, ha, has Kepka won another significant golf tournament? Yeah, I think he has, hasn't he? Okay. Well, I, he's a guy that doesn't really win a whole lot of other other tournaments. Um, it, it, it's strange. It, it is it is genuinely strange. He's won four majors. Yeah, this, three, will be, this will be his fifth. So this will be his fifth. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely <laughs> absurd what he's doing right now on the tour. Uh, 314-399-9646 from the 573. Hey, do you asshats realize that this is the ma- the Masters and they've still got two rounds left? No, I no. thought this was the par three playing. No, what was it? Wasn't familiar with uh, with how the Masters works. Didn't and know thanks they, for calling us assets. Do do they continue playing through the weekend? No, Alex? no, there, they only play till Friday and then they stop. Is there like a Sunday? No, is that a big deal in no, the Masters? No, they only play till Friday. They play okay. Thursday, Friday. Thursday's the par three. Friday is just kind of like they hey show up and win and then it's over. Hey yeah. T Bone, if you were to make a bet on somebody to win the Masters today, who are you going with? Rory not, McElroy. Not Roy, Rory McIlroy because he's been terrible. Anybody uh, else? I, I mean, I don't know how you come. I don't think Kepka's the guy that's going to blow this. I know he's like the favorite, but I mean, historically, he doesn't fall apart late in rounds. That, as far as I know, I don't really know a lot, ton of golfers. Don't yeah. take Tiger. Yeah. Tiger's not making the cut. I don't think. I think he won't make it. Usually, uh, when you have a five-stroke lead, it's hard to choke that one up. Yeah, well, you know, it has happened before, <laughs> but I, I don't think Kepka's going to be the guy that does it. But I, I would just stick with him, mostly because he's at the leaderboard. He's a guy I see winning, so I would bet on him. You know who's a fun one to bet on right now? Hmm. Like, you should not do this. You're lighting money on fire. Know that ahead of time. But um, Phil Mickelson at four under for the tournament. Phil. He's tied for 11th right now. You bet 10 bucks to win 1500 Like, I don't think he's going to win. He's not catching him. I would be pretty shocked if he ends up winning this tournament. But, like, winning $1,500 is not crazy. That's, that seems pretty cool. I, I would be into that. Um, well, might as well just bet on Tiger Woods to do it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, by the way, the cheater, you could bet on Colin Morikawa at 27-1. Oh, yeah. Sure, um, if you like cheating to win money, go for it. He definitely cheated, by the way, right? I don't know if people have seen this video. If not, check it out. But, yeah, he absolutely he did what I do when I golf with my dad to try and get, like, a one-stroke lead on him. Roll the ball like closer he, to the hole. No, well, that. But, like, he picks the ball up. You know, he's got his little marker down on the putting green. He picks it up and acts like he's just shaking it off and moving it. Then drops it an inch forward, and then it's like, oh, maybe somebody saw him. He picks it up and drops it back and then moves it another inch forward. Yeah, he, like, put he put himself a couple centimeters closer to the hole. That's called cheating, sir. That is 100% a move that Alex Ferrario would do. Absolutely. Mine's not by centimeters, though. Like, when people look <laughs> away, I throw the ball and see if I can get it closer to the green. Coming up in about five minutes, we'll get into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do we need to know about City's match for tomorrow? Uh, it's going to be another one that's going to be close like it was against Minnesota. Seattle's a very well-balanced team. Uh, offensively, they're one of the best. They've got 12 goals scored so far. They've got the top goal scorer and top assist man in MLS uh, through the first uh, five, or excuse me, first six games of the year. And then they've only given up three goals allowed coming into this one. And if you remember correctly, Minnesota had only given up three going into last week's game, and then they held St. Louis City SC 
scoreless. So Seattle's a very well-balanced team. This may be the best balanced team that City has faced all year long. So this is going to be a really big test for them going on the road to Seattle. I'm interested to see how they respond coming off their first loss of the year. Let's go, City. Oh, man, remember them dogs. Junk drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Time to dive into the junk drawer today. Boys, I wanted to ask you something. Because I'm having a tough time and... No, we're not friends. I needed specifically you, Alex, to help me out of this. Oh, good. I don't have to you do You need it. me? Yeah, I need you. Boy, this must be a really bad spot. So you know I'm not particularly good around the house. I feel like I've been better lately, but I'm not great at stuff. I've got raccoons I might be living upstairs. We've had the birds last year. Hey, you're Snow White. You know I had some troubles trying to uh, replace slash fix my, um, whatchamacallit, the fan? No, the dish. Um, oh, the, garbage the disposal. garbage disposal. Can't even name it. Don't put dishes in your garbage disposal. And the breaker flipped on my AC unit, and I needed somebody to come out and tell me that that took place. So I've I've got my issues. Okay. My dad, however, is really good with this stuff. Yeah. And he comes out, he helps us out with things for a weekend, and then he goes back to Kansas City where he lives, and he goes back to doing literally this. He does manual labor for a living. I don't know how to tell him something. (laughs) That you suck at this? No. So he came out one weekend, and we worked on the bifold door. So it's one of those French doors that opens out and oh, then closes. BK's got French doors now, T-Bone. For my, for our nursery, uh, the spare bedroom. The way that the door opens and closes, it does not actually open all, close all the way. Like, it's, it's still folded a little bit out. <laughs> it wasn't that way when he left. And I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here because I don't know that I want him to help because last time that he came out and we all did this and ended up becoming a full weekend thing because our doors are not like the proper size that everything else is. They're not standard. So you have to like shave them down and then you got to try to fit it in there and get all the nooks and crannies. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare to try to figure this thing out. What am I supposed to do in this spot? Do I just live with it? Do I just say, you know what? That door doesn't close all the way. Am I supposed to be okay with that? I I know people look at me like a jerk that always kind of brings confrontation out because I just don't care. Uh, That's one of those things that I just suck it up and say, you know what? These doors are going to stay like they are. Not even going to take a chance with it. I'm okay with that, right? Yeah. Like I just got to live with it? Yeah, no, you just live with it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've been very insecure about this because 
You don't want to bother your dad. He's got a lot of stuff going on. No, it's not even so much that. It's like my own insecurities as a man, as a father, <laughs> where my son is potentially going to grow up in a room where his door doesn't close all the way. Dad, why is your door not closed? Your son's not going to know that for the first, like, three years of his life. At some point, he will, though. Well, and he's going to say, who did this? And I'm going to have to say, that was me. No, that's when you blame <laughs> it on gonna Grandpa. say, you're not a man. <laughs> I'm saying, no. I hate to break it to you, buddy, but your son might say that no matter what. Um, uh, you just blame it on Grandpa. Yeah, that's what This I is did. Grandpa's fault. And then when Grandpa says, no, it was your dad, then you just let your son decide who's the, the honest person, me or Grandpa. Well, we know where he's going to go with that. I was going to say, uh, the kids usually like their grandparents better, so maybe yeah, don't go with always. that approach. No, but it's fine. Uh, that's the that's the cop-out. Do you think do it's it. a big deal that the door doesn't close no. all the way? No, I don't. T-Bone? I don't think it's a big deal at all, no. Okay. Like, how much are we talking about? Like, is it a massive gap, or is it, like, a little gap in between? I mean, again, the, the problem is that it's not like your typical door. And they stick out a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's so it opens up, like, where the middle is out. Mm-hmm. And so... It's definitely clear. Here's like, the real question. If you're question. looking at it, you can see that it is not closed. Here's the real question. Does it's it, not flat. Does it bother your wife? No. Then it doesn't bother you. That's a good That's a good motto. If it doesn't bother your wife, it doesn't bother married. you. <laughs> that's a good, good motto. Somebody says it probably came loose on the track at the top. So, here, again, part of the issue is that the door doesn't. It's not a standard door, and therefore, like, it's kind of finagled in a way where it's like, eh. Oh, yeah, you jerry-rigged Yeah, that. yeah. We, we had to do what we could to be able to make this thing work. Well, if you were a real man, you'd take it down and redo it yourself. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm just not, I'm not good enough with this stuff to have confidence that if I were to try to redo it, it would end even as well as it is right Look, now. There are, At least right now, it is standing and it is in front of the closet. There are certain things in my house that I look at and say, yeah, I could I could fix that if there's issues with it. Like I did it when I installed our sink. Uh, you know, we're talking about starting to do some renovations with our, our kids' bathroom. That's kind of stuff that I look at and say, I could probably do that. But there are other things that I look at and say, man, I'm not good. Like when my garage door opener didn't work, I had to be like, ah, I'm not good with this. I probably need to call somebody. There's no harm in calling somebody if you need to. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Somebody said, guys, he needs to get this figured out now because once that kid is born, his wife's going to be in the nursery getting him to go to sleep, and it will absolutely bother her at that point. That, that's why I asked. you got to ask Kara, does this bother you? Because, and, and don't say now, will this bother you in the future? Because if it will, then you got to get it done. Somebody from the 636 said, are your doors also classified as petite? Coming up next, how much will the Tyler O'Neill situation text. change the way that players, both current and future, view Ollie Marmel as a manager? We'll discuss it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Like you, you go hard and, you know, I certainly understand players that are trying to think through 162 and, and trying to manage like their energy and their load and how we think about it. But as a team, we try to help them do that, too. So when you're in a game, expectations are high. Expectations are that you go full throttle. And, you know, if there's a debate or interpretation of, of how that was last night, um, I think we'll try to keep that inside the clubhouse doors. But my take on this is Cardinals play it one way and you try to play it the right way 
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mosellock, audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest yesterday prior to the game, talking about this Tyler O'Neill situation, how it was handled, how it will be handled moving forward. Alex, I thought the fast lane asked an interesting question yesterday in response to uh, everything that took place between Ollie and Tyler O'Neill. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. How much is this situation going to change the way that players view Ollie, if at all? Because... I think it's pretty clear who Ollie is as a manager, uh, his, his positives, if you want to call them negatives, or if you just want to say, like, these are the things that are non-negotiables with him. Effort is a thing that, especially if you win with effort, if that's a significant part of your game, you can't let up on. And if you do, he's going to call you out for it. And he's going to talk to you about it first. And then if he's asked about it, which he was in this scenario, he's going to give an honest answer. He's going to say, hey, I didn't think Tyler O'Neill was busting it to home, and that's not something that we can have. And then if the player doesn't respond well, he's going to say, hey, I don't think he responded well, and I want to see him respond better. That's what he said. Last year with Harrison Bader, the first part was the same. He said, hey, I don't think Harrison Bader was busting it to first, and that's not acceptable here. And he benched him, and then Harrison Bader gave a response that was basically, hey, my emotions sometimes get the best of me. That can be good. I can play with emotion and it like burn. That's the fire that burns inside of me. And it can be bad sometimes where it can be a negative and I get a little bit overly emotional. I was mad in that moment. I didn't bust it to first. I deserve to be benched. That was Harrison Bader's response last year. Guess what? Right back in the lineup. It's a little different this time around. So, so when you take all of that added context, that necessary context in my mind into account, how, if at all, do you think this situation will impact the way that other players, both current and future, view playing for Ollie Marmol. Term of Michael, and that's important. I, I, I don't I, I think it impacts it positively because if you're a current Cardinal player or a future Cardinal player, you know what the motto is for this Cardinals team. John Mosellock just told you that. Ali Marmol told you that. And if you're not willing to play to that style, then you should expect this outcome from Ali. It's the same thing with Craig Berube. If you're not giving 100% effort, well, you know how he's going to respond because he he wants that from you. So, and for Tyler O'Neill, and let's just look at it as the current group of Cardinals. I don't think it has anything to do with how you view Ali, and more to do with how you view that clubhouse, because everybody in that clubhouse does that. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis. I mean, these are all guys, Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan. These are all guys that realize and recognize that I have to give it 100%. Otherwise, I'm going to be taken out of this lineup. Dylan Carlson's experiencing this firsthand, not so much in the effort, but the production side of things. So with like if I put myself in the shoes of a Cardinals player in that clubhouse seeing what happened between Ollie and Tyler O'Neill, I don't believe anybody was in the wrong, but I look at this and say, all right, I know exactly what Ollie wants out of me, and if I want to be in this lineup, i got to give it 100% every single time. It's like parents. If you know your parent gets mad when you talk back to him or lie to him, then you stop doing that because you know you're going to get in trouble if you keep doing it. If you're a player on this team or a future Cardinal on this team, do what your manager wants. Otherwise, you probably don't want to be on this Cardinals roster. T-Bone? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of players around Major League Baseball kind of have somewhat of a respect for what Ali Marmol has done, which is just that true assessment of the way things are, being blunt honesty. Like that that's what players want. We've heard it all the time when uh Ollie took over. We heard it from players when Craig Berube took over. They like honesty. And I, I think when you are willing to even bring that sometimes out of the clubhouse and make sure everybody knows about it because now there's a spotlight on Tyler O'Neill. And it's not just in that clubhouse. It's from everybody in the St. Louis market that loves Cardinals baseball. It's hey everybody's going to be looking to see how all or how uh, Tyler O'Neill responds to this. And I think it's going to motivate him himself. So I, I think a lot of players across major league baseball, I think they're more of the older school players, like guys that have been in the league, like a really long time, like a, I'll just use Max Scherzer as an example that would say, Hey, the manager should handle this inside. It shouldn't really ever leave the clubhouse doors. But I think there's some players that look at it and say, you know what? I want to be held accountable for my actions. And I respect the fact that a manager was willing to go out there. And I, I don't think he would have brought it up if a question wasn't asked about it. I don't, I don't think it would have just opened this press conference with, Hey, before we get started, let me tell you about why Tyler O'Neill is huh. not going to be in the lineup tomorrow. Right. It was, he was asked, he answered the question, didn't want to dodge the question because everybody outside of that clubhouse could have figured it out when he wasn't in the lineup potentially. So I, I think a lot of people kind of have somewhat of a respect for, you know what, I know what the expectation is, and I want honesty when I go to, if I'm going to go become a St. Louis Cardinal. I think there could be some negative views by a certain segment of potential free agents. I also think if those free agents talk to Ollie for two seconds, they would be fine. And what I mean by that is like, I could see there being guys that say, I don't want to be called out publicly. We've seen some national media guys that are former big leaguers say something to the effect of, yeah, I think Ollie was in the wrong here. I don't understand why he's handling it this way. This stuff should be taken care of in-house. And so maybe some guys get wind of that and like potential free agents, right? And I don't know who they are specifically. I can't name names, but guys that would like to sign in St. Louis but have a little bit of trepidation about getting called out publicly by their manager, I could see them saying, hey, man, that that was weird. Why why'd you handle that that way? And then he explains it to them, and they're like, okay, I get it. Like, it makes sense to me. Um, and so I, I think the way that Ollie handles things, which is with brutal honesty sometimes, I think that plays, man. I think these players just want to know where they stand. And that sometimes means that feelings get hurt. That sometimes means that a guy like Tyler O'Neill has to be called out publicly for something that has clearly, this is not one play. I think that's something that's getting a little bit lost in translation here, especially with the national media that is that is weighing on, in on this. Man, there were some questions last year, not with effort, but with how hurt is Tyler O'Neill? Should he be playing right now? Is he doing everything he can to get back? And then this year you come in and, He's taken a little bit down when it comes to his sprint speed, and he's he's clearly thinking about how do I stay healthy for 162, and maybe that means 80% capacity of, of Tyler O'Neill when he's out there. I, I think that's something that has been weighing on the back of their minds, and then when they see a play like that, that looks weird when you view it. It just looks weird. I think that's how you get into what has all taken place over the last 48 hours or so. So to answer the question directly, I'm not sure that it hurts or helps them. I think it's just more evidence on the specific type of manager that Ollie Marmel is going to be here in St. Louis. Well, and the other thing with that, too, is like if I'm a free agent and I'm wondering what's going on, yeah, the first question is going to look at an Ollie Marmol, but even prior to that, I'm going to look at the roster and say, 
okay, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, these guys are winning players, and they have had zero problems with the manager, the organization, things like that. I mean, Nolan Arenado would be the poster child for this, for what he went through with the Colorado Rockies before he was acquired. So I, I look at it as the status of what Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado have achieved over their years in Major League Baseball. If I'm a free agent considering St. Louis, the Tyler O'Neill thing is, I mean, it'd be something that I would bring up in a meeting, but it's not going to be something that I say, well, I don't want to go to St. Louis and I need to be swayed to go there. Because I want to go somewhere where winning is a culture, and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt wouldn't be there if winning wasn't a culture. All right, I answered this the other day, but I I think that we get it so much that it's worth mentioning once again. We've had probably five or six different textures. I'm not going to read each of the individual questions, but they say something to the effect, this effect. Guys, why didn't Ollie do this with the Adi or Molina last year? What happens when, when another player jogs down to first? It could be a message that ends up getting lost, because if you're going to hold one player accountable and not the other that feels like you're holding everybody to different standards. Guys, I think that's the case. I think everybody is held to different standards. And that's not about effort so much as how can these guys help you win baseball games. Yadier Molina's ability was not to help them win baseball games by jogging or to by sprinting to first every time that he has a potential infield hit. Yadier Molina is not capable at that point in his career of running out, legging out an, an infield single. Which is not going to happen. Yadier Molina's ability is behind the plate he was supposed to help you defensively he was supposed to help you with the game planning and if Yadi was in their mind dogging it with his preparation and there were like three four days in a row where Yadi was coming in completely unprepared and then you get into the game situation and the pitchers are complaining about Yadi clearly not being prepared behind the plate or he's um, slow on his pop times or he doesn't get in front of a ball that they thought that he should have and then it happens again and they ask him like hey are you hurt or is something going on here that's when he gets called out for this stuff. For somebody like a Nolan Arenado, if he's not busting it on a play that is like a slow roller to third and they think he could have or should have made a play and then it happens again in the next game, that's when he potentially gets called out for a lack of effort. Everybody has different ways that they can help you win. For Tyler O'Neill, one of those ways is with his speed. And so for him not to bust it, when he's supposed to be in the lineup to help you with that speed skill set, yeah, that matters. Harrison Bader last year, not busting it down the line. Well, if you're not going to bring speed to our lineup, why are you out there? How are you helping us? What is your way to help us win? So I think that is the context that is really important when you're talking about something like this. Yadier Molina was not held accountable for his lack of quote-unquote effort because that's not how he helped the Cardinals win last year. At that point in his career, that's not what they were expecting. Same thing was true for Albert Pools. Like, there's certain guys that are held to this standard when it comes to their running, running and it's like Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. It's the guys that win by their by their effort and their speed. That that's that's why this is a little different. Final thing that I wanted to mention here that I'm curious about: How do you guys think they handle the outfield over the weekend? Because for me, Tyler O'Neill's in the lineup today. He's had success in his career against Brandon Woodruff, more so than just about any other Cardinals player that could be in the lineup today. Tyler O'Neill in his career is four for 15 against Woodruff with seven RBI and three home runs. All four, all four hits that he has against Woodruff in his career are extra bases. One double, three home runs. What else do you do in your, your, your outfield this weekend? How are you constructing this? Tyler O'Neill is in the lineup every day against Milwaukee because if I'm going to call a player out like that and he's going to respond the way that he is, 
I'm going to put them in the lineup and say, all right, go out there and show it to us. Show out the show the hustle that you're talking about where you work your ass off every single day. So he's in my lineup every day. It's pretty obvious Jordan Walker is too. And then from there, it just comes down to, I guess, matchups, which I would lean more towards a Dylan Carlson because I thought he has performed well, the opportunities that he's gotten, and that's no disrespect to Alec Burleson. And a lot of this also was pending on what the health is of Lars Newbar. But I would set it up where the next three games against Milwaukee, Tyler O'Neill and Jordan Walker in my outfield, and then I'll figure out the rest. Yeah, I think Tyler O'Neill probably starts all three games of the weekend. I do think you'll see I, – I would like to see Carlson get at least two starts. I, he'll definitely be in the lineup um, tomorrow when they face Lauer, the yeah. lefty. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a start against whether it be – I don't think it'd be today, but maybe on uh, Sunday. Just give Walker a day off. And I know it's like, well, they're having a day off yesterday. What's he need a day off for? Day to night game, first time traveling. Give him a day off. And also, I just want to see Carlson against a top right-handed pitcher in Freddie Peralta because I've been really impressed with what we've seen. And then that way you can keep Alec Burleson's hot bat in the lineup as well. But I, I do want to see Carlson get two starts this weekend. I, I don't know if they'll end up doing it or not, but that's what I would like to see. But I do think Tyler O'Neill will be in the lineup all three games in the series against the Brewers. My guess is you see Tyler O'Neill the first two days because if this dude's worried about getting hurt, I'm not playing him on a day game after a night game. That's oh. for damn sure. Um, so I, I think he gets the first two games of this series. He starts tonight against Woodruff. Then you got to start him tomorrow against the lefty. That That's a given. Um, I think tonight I would go with Burleson, Tyler O'Neill, and Jordan Walker in the outfield. That would probably be the way that I would play it against Woodruff. And then tomorrow against a lefty, I'd go Carlson, O'Neill, and Walker. And then on Sunday is where it gets really interesting because it is that day game after a night game. I think that I agree with you, T-Bone. I would like to see Dylan Carlson. Let's learn what we can about him against right-handed pitching while Newt Bar is not around. Let's see what he looks like. Find out what he looks like against Peralta, who's a, a pretty solid righty, but not one of those dominant guys like a Woodruff, for example. Put him in center. I think that's the day where you get one of Goldie or Arenado a day at DH. So that way you get them off their feet, day game after a night game. You're getting ready to travel once again on Monday. I, I would probably give one of those guys the day at DH, but Gorman at second base, get him some opportunities there, or at third, one of the two. Um, Donovan goes to the outfield for me, Carlson in center, and then figure out what to do in right. You either put Burleson out there in right or Yepes out there in right. That That'd probably be the way that I would go about it. And then what you essentially end up with is everybody gets two starts over the weekend. Each of them start two of the three games. That's probably the way that I would go about it. Uh, but I'm very curious to see uh, what they decide to do, especially with Tyler O'Neill coming off of the quote-unquote scheduled day off. Coming up next, are the Blues an attractive spot for an NHL's ba- NHL player as a bounce-back candidate? I think they're becoming even more so after what we've seen from two players in particular. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Blues fans, welcome back to St. Louis. Number 91, Vladimir Tarasenko! (laughs) 
That's what it sounded like last night right here on 101 ESPN as Vladimir Tarasenko was welcomed back to St. Louis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes, we'll get to one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line you give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. A Friday staple of one's got to go. Alex, that moment. And really these moments that we've had of all of the former Blues that have come back that won a Stanley Cup with the team, it's meaningful. And guys see this and they pay attention to it and it matters. Not just to the former players, but to the guys that are on that bench alongside them. All the potential future Blues. And I thought Pavel Buchnevich, I was listening to his interview that he did on Bally Sports Midwest yesterday between periods. And I've got the question that's included here. As I as I listened to this interview, I was like, ah, people pay attention to this stuff, maybe even more so than I gave it credit for. Here's Pavel Buchnevich yesterday. For every player, uh, it's mean a lot. I don't get that one in, in New York, so I know how it, how it goes. But uh, proud of St. Louis Blues organization. We do a like, great video. And uh, for every player, it's mean a lot. And uh, he's been part of the Stanley Cup team. And uh, I think we give him big thank you so good so he was asked what did it mean for you to be able to see vladimir tarasenko get that kind of tribute and he basically says yeah i didn't get one of those in new york so God, it's great to it. see that the the blues do that for other t- uh, other players when they're able to come <laughs> back to to st louis because it is meaningful alex what does this mean like in, in the greater sense of the appreciation that both the team, the organization, and also the fans have for these former players. How does that play around the league? Oh, it plays well. I mean, we had Dave Reed on with us last week, who was Stanley Cup champion, played in the 90s, and uh, he even said, like, St. Louis is always going to be a spot that players want to go play because of their competitiveness, because of how they win, and because of that effect. And, and, I mean, you ask anybody who has spent time in St. Louis as a player, they talk about how meaningful it is. I mean, that's why there's one of the largest alumni groups in all of the National Hockey League for the Blues, because guys come back here because they enjoyed it. Um, Pat Maroon talks about it. Joel Edmondson talks about it. Jaden Schwartz, David Perron, Tarasenko, like, they all go through it. So it means a lot for those players to know that, they're engraved into a city that cares so much about the players, whether you were drafted, played one season, played half a season. But I also think right now for this Blues team, it goes beyond that. I mean, listen to some of the guys that are on the roster right now. One, you just heard Pavel Buchnevich talk about it. But after the game last night, Kasperi Kapanen scores that overtime game winner. And he talks about the opportunity that he has provided from the St. Louis Blues to kind of put himself back on the map. Jakub Verana has spoken about this. Sammy Blay has talked about this. On top of how much the city and the team cares about the players, they're also going to be now a team that's viewed as, hey, if I want to get my career back on the right track, this might be the place for me to go. Um, And a lot of that says because of the coaching staff and the success Craig Berube has with a lot of these players, specifically younger players. But two, if I'm a guy who is a free agent and was at a team and didn't really hit my potential there, I want to look at the Blues and be like, I want to be like Kapanen. I want to be like Verona or Blay and go get an opportunity to play in the top nine because this coaching staff doesn't look at a player and says, well, he's a fourth line player. He looks at this as, can you give us more? And they have the opportunity to provide that. So it, it 
becomes more and more an ideal landing spot for teams, which is beneficial if you're Doug Armstrong. So you look at what Kapanen, Blay, and Verana have done since they've been acquired by the Blues in various different forms, or they're trade. Those three have combined for 26 goals, 44 points overall, and they have played in a total of 65 games. 26 goals, 44 points in 65 games. Meanwhile, you add up what O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Ivan Barbashev have done in their new places. It has not been as impressive. They've had 17 goals. They've had 24, 39 points. And they've done so in fewer games. Now, that's that's important context there because Ryan O'Reilly's sure. only played in nine with mm-hmm. his new team up in Toronto because of injuries. But, man, when I see this, I look out to the free agency market this offseason, and I'm in total agreement with you. Whether it's because of the fans, check mark there, because of the coaching staff that's going to put you in a position to succeed, check mark there, playing with other high-quality NHL-level players, check mark there (laughs) being in a market where it's not going to be overwhelming like Toronto, but it's also not going to be a place where they literally do not care about hockey. Like, you know, for example, Arizona check mark there. There's a lot of, a lot of things where you go up and down the check mark list of where would you want to play? And the blues are starting to be a team that a lot of guys would like to come play for. And then you add in the finish to the season playing as well as they have, And maybe somebody looks at this and says, hey, man, I don't think they're as far away as some people are projecting them to be. And if I sign there and I play really well, I could be a part of whatever this next core is, kind of like Kapanen or Verano or Blay. Like Those guys are potentially getting into that scenario as well. This season, the finish that they're having, I think is really meaningful for what they're going to be able to do and the doors that open for them going into the offseason. And this is why it's going to be such a quick turnaround, in my opinion, because you've got the competitive team. If it's a spot that's desirable for teams to come to free agency, it shouldn't be difficult for Doug Armstrong to make this team competitive again. Now, he's said that they're not going to be aggressive in this free agent market, meaning you're not going to be throwing out multi-year deals because, frankly, this free agent group isn't that sexy. But is there a guy out there that maybe... I mean, Nolachari is a perfect example. Nolachari couldn't stay healthy with Florida, and he comes to St. Louis... And he's one of their best face-off men. He's back to a goal-scoring potential, and now he's on a team that has a playoff push. So I just looked. I just skimmed through the um, players that are available via free agency. A guy like Patrick Hornquist, 36 years old, the last couple of seasons, he's been getting paid $5 million with Florida. He's been injured, and he's been used in a little bit of a lesser role. Does a guy like that on the tail end of his career look at a Blues team and say, man, I'd like to go somewhere that's a little bit more enjoyable to play. I feel like I could provide something to a group that needs to take that step to the next level. I mean, this is a guy who has won a Stanley Cup when he played with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's been around winning cultures with Nashville and Florida. Those are the types of guys that Doug Armstrong will look at and say, you know what, one-year opportunity if you want to end your career somewhere that can be competitive and help our team to the next stage – We'll take a look at something like that. I'm a big horny guy. I'm I'm a big fan you of horny Patrick for Hornquist. Hockey? Yeah, I, I'm a absolutely. I think Hornquist could immediately be somebody that I would be personally interested in. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the cap situation looks like. I mean, for he's him. gotten like, what paid. he's going to be if you're him money wise. You've gotten paid over the last few seasons, and like you're 36, going to be 37 years old. Not many more, not many more years, I would imagine, in his career. 
you know, I'm sure he's obviously going to want to get paid, but you're not looking for a multi-year deal. You're probably looking a year-to-year thing right now. Now, maybe he just decides to stay in Florida because the last couple of seasons have been fun, and now they've got Matthew Kachuk and look like a decent team. But, like, he used to be a face-off guy. That clicks there for you. Currently, he's been playing wing. He hits everything in sight. He blocks some shots for you. can play the penalty kill as much as he could play the power play. I mean, if he wants – and this is the hardest part because are you interested in going to a team like that? Like you'd instantly walk in with some credibility, a leader, and you'd step in and, I mean, you'd essentially be a top six, top nine forward at 36, 37 years old. Now, does his speed match the identity of the Blues? Probably not for the age range that Doug Armstrong's talked about. Yep. But you are going to want somebody who can be a little bit more of a veteran presence on a group of guys that are going to be younger next season. And it's like – Focus less on the name, more on the type the of profile. Player. Yes. Like Horn- Hornquist has dealt with a concussion issue this year that has kept him out since December. So he might not even play again. Like it's possible Could he says, you know what, I- I've had I've had a really successful career. I, I don't want to deal with concussion issues. This is not something that I want to continue playing for. I'm in my upper 30s. Like I'm, I'm going to walk away from hockey. I'm good. I'm set for life when it comes to the money. I don't, I don't need to do this any longer. Right. That's very possible. But the profile is an interesting one because it's a guy that has gone from being, you know, a, a super productive player to not quite as good over the last couple of years when it comes to the point totals that he's putting up. Somebody like that, like a Verona, like a Blay, like a Kapanen, those types of players now have clear proof. Hey, I can go to St. Louis, recapture the value that I once had, and then potentially hit the market again next year and cash in or stay in that spot and be able to continue having some success with the St. Louis Blues. I think that's pretty meaningful going into the offseason. Coming up next, one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pen. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one has got to go for one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. By the way, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the fast lane will be on. It'll be Michelle and Jamie, and eventually Danny Mac's going to be joining the show today. So stay tuned for that coming up from 2 to 6. Let's start with this, guys. One's got to go. BK's generally sunny disposition, Alex's dad jokes, or T-Bone's singing. Which one has got to go? My pipes are staying. What kind of question is that? You know what? I'll be a team player here, and I'll get rid of my dad jokes because I don't think uh, they're for everybody. You think my sunny disposition is, though? No, I don't. But frankly, if you don't like my dad jokes, that's fine. I could keep them to myself. I would. So I, uh, I'll, I'll get rid of my dad jokes. I think that I would go with the same thing. I think I would also yeah. get rid of Alex's dad yeah. jokes. And just like I said, yeah. that's fine if you hate them. They're not for you. Yeah. You don't get that type of humor. I, I think Sorry. out of, like, if there were 10 in a week and that's, like, a low number, like, one, maybe I'm like, you know, that was a good one. So I'd say they got to go. When they land, they land really well. Though. That's true. My, my Christmas dad jokes were outstanding. I feel like Alex's jokes are either a one or a 10, and there's never anything in between. I'd agree That's with fair. That. Yeah. That's fair. 
But at my house, they're always a 10. That makes sense. Your your daughters, I'm my, sure. My two-year-old daughter thinks I am hilarious. Uh, one's got to go. Cardinal Jersey edition. I feel like T-Bone's got some thoughts on this. White, gray, cream, or powder blue? Which one's got to go? The white, gray, cream, or powder blue Cardinals jerseys? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the cream. I'm not a big fan of the Saturday cream jerseys. I do like the powder blue. I, I am a big fan of the baby blues. But I, the white and gray, that's kind of traditional, so I like that. The cream jerseys, I like. they're fine, but out of these four, get them I, out of I here. I love the cream. I, I think the cream are my second favorite behind the powder blue. Clip that for me, Tanner. <laughs> use that oh, later. If only we could use it for the end of the show. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to get rid of the cream also because the the powder blue. Uh, when they debuted that, I was I was about as excited for that one as I was when they debuted those retro blues jerseys. Like, man, that took me back. And I wasn't even alive when those powder blues were a thing. But I always loved the videos that showed them. Oh. I think mine's. I, I think I'm getting rid of the grays. Are you Dude, kidding me? No. Like, I would rather wear the powder blues, the creams, or the whites than the grays. No way. The, I, the grays are fine. Like, the, I, I think the, the Cardinals have some of the best jerseys in, in I baseball. I love the gray ones. Like, that birds on the bat pops on those gray jerseys. It, it pops on the white ones. It pops on all of them. Exactly. So I've got to get rid of one of these. I think I would get rid of the gray. I'm just telling you that one of these is worse than the others, and it's the gray ones. All right, I'm one... just telling you that my opinion's right. You can have your own opinion, but that everybody's entitled to it. That's pretty good. All right, I go back on the other one. I'm keeping my dad jokes. I'll get rid of his <laughs> stupid opinion. One's got to go. A working door, a working sink, a working garage door opener. Which one's got to go, Alex? Does the door? Wor- what does the a working door mean? Or the <laughs> garage door, door opener? What does a working door mean? I'm assuming my closet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think uh, this is in reference to stuff that doesn't work in my house. Oh, okay. That's good. So working door. I, I guess door, you could also add in a garbage disposal. Working here. sink, working garage door opener, and... Uh, Working garbage disposal. I'll get rid of the working closet door because I don't think that really matters. If my closet door is not working, I'm going to just take it off and say, no more closet door. It's just wide open right now. I'm with you on that one. I think that's the easiest one that's got to go. I I prefer to have a garbage disposal. I prefer to have an opening garage door, and I definitely prefer a working sink. Or I would just fix all four of these things by myself and no problem. Now, to be fair, I don't have a garage, so I don't have that problem. Oh, you don't? No, we just got a carport. That's where all the birds come into our house. (laughs) We wouldn't have that same issue if we had a garage. Our our first house had the the carport, and yikes. Um, I didn't have any birds or raccoons in my house, but then again, I'm not Snow White, so... Only some of us can do that. It's One's got to go. BK and Ferrario segment edition. The Ferrario 5. Yes. The T-Bone 3. Yes. Questions and answers. Or one's got to go. That's some like Inception stuff right there. One's got to go and one's got to go. <laughs> Whoa, man. Yeah, I had to watch that movie three times before I understood it. So Great movie, though. I'm not even going to answer this. I'm saying it's Ferrari all these 5. are great. I'm saying, I'm saying Ferrari T-Bone 5. Three. It's, a tra- it's a trash thing. The T-Bone 3 is literally what we already know. Three guys on his list. Everybody knew the answer to on his last one. <laughs> uh, T-Bone 3's three takeaways from the Cardinals home opener series. Well, Jordan Walker is good. The pitching staff is not good. That's not what I said. Nolan Gorman can hit the ball. He doesn't remember the T-Bone 3. The T-Bone 3, 
Taylor Motter should be on this team. He made the team. What are you talking about? The Flow Bros shouldn't go. They shouldn't. Paul Young don't hit the ball that hard. He don't hit the ball. Team 3 the Cardinals bullpen needs one more elite arm out of it. They do if they want to win anything. Yeah, I think you're just proving the point that the T-Bone 3 should stay over the Ferrario 5. Martin Furk, have we seen him? No. Yeah, well, that's that's bad management because my man's just tearing it up on the power play in the AHL. How good's the power play been this year, guys? Guess who's leading the AHL in power play goals, guys? You good? Nailed the Ferrari 05. You good? BK, what are you going to get rid of? Yeah, what are you going to get rid of, buddy? You're the, de- you're the decider here. Nah, questions and answers. You guys know <laughs> I don't like the listeners. Uh, from the 314. <laughs> guys, one's got to go. Cars, trucks, SUVs, or motorcycles. I'm getting rid of the motorcycles. My dad, I don't. I was not around when this happened, but my dad apparently bought a motorcycle and on his way home from the from buying the motorcycle. By the way, my mom was unaware that my dad had purchased this motorcycle. Midlife crisis, understandable. Yeah. Uh, he got into a wreck in which he was then hospitalized and found out, my mom found out that he was hospitalized when they called her from the hospital saying, uh, ma'am, your husband is in the hospital. He had a motorcycle wreck. She said, uh, ma'am, you have the wrong person. My husband doesn't have a motorcycle. They said he bought it today. You can come to X, Y, and Z. Yikes. So I'm getting rid of the motorcycle. See, I don't want to get rid of it because I've always wanted to ride one. And my dad has one. And but like my wife would never approve of me riding one. So I guess I have to get rid of that. The thing is, I don't like trucks. And I know people have trucks. And I'm probably going to be like, oh, of course, weak Ferrario. Beta Boy 2 over here doesn't like trucks. I've never liked trucks for some reason. Is it going to surprise you that I actually do like trucks? Actually, yes. yes. Actually, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I would love to get enough 150. May- maybe it's the st- <laughs> maybe it's the stage of my life. I'm like ready to buy a minivan now. Oh god. So like that might be it. Jeez. But You're, it's over, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's over. All over for you. You but might like, be in the midlife these, crisis already. But like some of these minivans are actually pretty awesome right now. But yeah, I, I think I would get rid <laughs> <Clip> of that. <laughs> they are. It's the most embarrassing thing I you've ever it, said. I got to tell you, I'm obsessed with these Kia Carnivals right now. It's like a freaking house on wheels. I'm obsessed with it, but I don't have the money for it, so I can't afford it. But I'd probably get rid of trucks here. I mean, I would get rid of trucks, too, just because I do have no interest in driving a truck, but I, I wouldn't want a minivan in, in replacement of a truck. Okay, I, I would mind years having a old, motorcycle. Of course you don't want a minivan. No, I, even if I was, like, 40 with, like, five kids, I don't think I'd want a minivan. Well, I'd love for you to fit those still, five kids when you got to drive them around on your motorcycle. Well, that's a fair point, but I still don't know if I want a minivan. So I, I'm out on the uh, on the I'm truck, so I have minivans. no interest in trucks. This has been a rousing edition. Arousing of One's Gotta Go here on BK and Ferrario. It has. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind and get you guys ready for Dan, Michelle, and Jamie on the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Appreciate you guys tuning in to the show today. It's been a fun week of radio. The Cardinals in action all weekend long in Milwaukee against the Brewers. Uh, the Blues back in action this weekend Blues as well, Alex. Blues hockey. Are you ready for this season to be over? Yeah, but it's not so much of like, I want the season to be over. It's I want to see what this offseason ha- does now. Like, I've never had this excitement before in terms of like going into a draft with the potential of moving up and selecting a pretty impactful player. And then with the fact that Doug's got two other draft picks, uh, that's why I think I want the season to be over. Plus, I do believe the playoffs are going to be entertaining. Uh, Blues at Minnesota tomorrow night. You'll hear that game right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN tomorrow at 7. Alex has your pregame coverage starting at 6. Did you tell me that uh, Kaprizov's going to be back for that Kaprizov game? Kaprizov is back for that game. That'll be fun one to watch for the St. Louis Bennington's Blues. I hope T-Bone City back in action tomorrow as well. Uh, they're going up against Seattle. Seattle's a really good team, and they are excellent defensively, but they're well-rounded. Too. They've got one of the top scorers in the league. What are you expecting from this one? I, I think it's going to be kind of a lot like what you saw in that Minnesota game where Minnesota was able to sit back defensively and really kind of contain that offense from City SC. And they didn't really fall to that pressure that we've talked about, that high press from City SC. Didn't fall for the, didn't uh, turn the ball over a lot in their own end, which has been the thing that's helped City succeed this season. I think you're going to see kind of good defense from Seattle, and then they're going to have the same kind of counterattack that Minnesota had, which led to their one goal, and they were pretty effective at that because Seattle's got the top goal scorer and the top assist man in the uh, game. So I would say it's probably going to be another tight one, one nothing, one one, something like that is kind of my expectation in this one. City, a significant underdog. That is a late start, late kickoff, 9.30 Central Time for that one. I know Alex is going to be super thrilled and super excited to stay up late to watch City against Seattle. Plenty of Masters coverage this weekend as well. Brooks Kepka is doing his thing. I hope you were able to get your wager down on him when I told you to do so earlier this week at 40 to 1 odds. You guys are making yourself a little bit of money if you're listening to your boy BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane with Michelle and Jamie to start things off, and then eventually Danny Mack's going to join them coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You know, it's something I thought about, guys, that you didn't. They don't have pitching. (laughs) Jamie, did you realize a Cardinals starting staff sucks? I didn't. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.